All right, yeah. we are live. It is Talking Preps. I don't know where my man Jonathan Grice is because I had him up right up there as soon as we came on the air. But I'm going to hit the button and we're going to get started. All right, so we're going to toss it right. Grice has it down to his uh, his bubble guys on the Mr. Football list. He cut the list down to 12. But these are five guys, Sam, that are on the bubble what do you think about these guys on the bubble? Do they still have a chance to win it all? Um, I think Curtis Simpson has the best chance on this bubble. I think he is peaking at the right time. He's had a phenomenal year. Uh, I watched his film the other day. He's very explosive, very tough to defend uh, against. Like if you're an offensive tackle, he comes off the edge extremely fast. Just tough to deal with. I think that he's one of the better defensive players. He wasn't even on the bubble. He's playing so well, he became on the bubble, and I think he'll he'll make it into the finals. Yeah. Cam, is there anybody on this list that surprises you, that, that, that's on the bubble that, that surprises you? That surprises me? I mean, I, I think David Hobbs should definitely be in consideration. He's, uh, mm-hmm. he's very impressive. Yeah, he's, I mean, uh, is it just stat-wise, stat I think that's the only thing hurting him. Like, he just doesn't – when you're talking about, like, Curtis Simpson, who has, like, what, 16, 17 sacks – he has the film to back it up. He might not have the measurables as Hobbs does and getting recruited like Hobbs. Um, you know, Hobbs is definitely on what he's the number one recruit in North Carolina. Is that correct? I mean, I don't know if that's yes, correct. Yes, he is. He is. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, he's definitely his upside is phenomenal and he's doing a, rate, a really good job for his team. He goes both ways. But, you know, as a defensive lineman right now, Curtis Simpson is by far one of the best out there right now. And Sam, to jump, on, and to jump on that, Sam, you know, about. Hobbs at J.M. Robinson, he absolutely – he's probably going to end up at, J, at, at Alabama or Georgia or somewhere crazy like that. His ceiling is so high that we can't see it right now. Uh, but for the Mr. Football uh, topic, I mean, he going against the, 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 the competition that he's going against, you know, he's kind of at a hamstring spot where he's just playing defensive end. Uh, you know, he's not getting the touches on offense to maybe put those mind-blowing T.A. McClendon-like numbers that you'd see – going against the kind of competition he's going against. And he can't help that he's going against the South Rowans and uh, Albemarle's and Union Academies of the world. But it just kind of is what it is, in my opinion. But in terms of his ceiling, he's incredible. No, yeah. he's, just, he's got tremendous upside. He's got a great coach as well. I mean, he's on the bubble. I mean, we've we've seen what he's done in flashes. And I think yeah. that getting on the bubble is still a great deal. There's some really good football players that are not even on the bubble. Grace, we're discussing your bubble list, and I was asking the guys were they surprised by anybody. Uh, Cam was surprised that David Hop, David David Hobbs on the list, and, and Sam thinks that Curtis Simpson can make the you know move up to the bigger list. As you look at this when you're doing this bubble list, what are you looking at when you're putting a guy on the bubble? You're putting a guy into the top twelve, and you're taking guys out. Oh, I mean, without question, I mean, the five guys on this list are incredible athletes, incredible football players. And I think, you know, there could be a case made for every single guy we look at. I think these five are guys that, you know, a lot of them, you know, some of these names like a Curtis Simpson is one that's continued to stand out as Kings Mountain, you know, continue to show their defensive prowess and play those big time games. He continued to be one of the best guys on the field for that defense. I mean, you look at a Keyshawn Breedlove, Central Davidson, I feel like was churning out backs, even with Coach Trivett was there last year as a back 
backup, he had some big time yards. This was, you know, this year is his time to shine, and he was able to, you know, to make that happen. I think with some of these guys, you know, you look at some with strength of schedule. I mean, had, you know, think of David Hobbs was playing teams not like Union Academy, where they're beating them 49, 56, nothing, mm-hmm. and getting four quarters of big time action against big time teams. I think you see that with some of these guys here, where that strength of schedule, where they're not able to develop the stats that we know that they're capable of. But you know, again, this isn't the, you know, the the end all be all for these guys. Kings Mountain really has some good time, you know, good performances. I'm looking at Crest, I think it is in two weeks, where, you know, these are guys that get a chance to really make sure to show, hey, in these big time games, if my stats still hold up, if I increase, these are guys that could make it onto that, you know, that 12 that we have. All right. Well, we're going to have Grice back on later on to reveal who uh, made the cut for the top 12. And right now we're going to go into rapid fire. South Carolina coaches' salaries. Gary, 33 coaches in South, in South Carolina make six figures. We know Aaron Brand left. We know Tom Knotts left and, and doubled, and in some cases, more than doubled their salaries. Uh, we're losing coaches to South Carolina every year. Can North Carolina do anything to catch up? Then the gurus are already shaking his head. I, I don't know what they can do. Um, you have to remember, South Carolina, a lot of these coaches come from counties that only have one or two high schools. And so when you can put all your funds into one school, then you can pay coaches like that. But you take a system like Mecklenburg that has 20 high schools or 21 high schools, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of money to divvy up just for uh, football coaches. And as I said earlier, I guess back in September when we first started, this is still a basketball state. Whether we, you know, I know football has really come along in the state of North Carolina, and North Carolina is probably in the top six in the country as far as producing college football players. But this is still a basketball state. As long as the University of North Carolina and Duke are ruling college basketball, then this will be a basketball state. Okay, I got it. I got a. I got something to say about that. Well, how come our basketball coaches don't make more money? They make less than football coaches. Yeah, but it's still. Ah, <laughs> which is this old Jack. They can, they can practice year-round, though, Sam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guru, what, what, do you, what is there anything North Carolina can do? Because we have lost a humongous yeah, amount of great coaches. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You know, school systems, you know, particularly these large school systems, uh, like a Charlotte, like a Raleigh, uh, and I know that Alex is going to be in the background fuming about what I'm going to say, but you can allow your your football coaches who by in a lot of instances are your most seasoned and experienced coaches in the entire building to become administrators and become athletic directors. You know, that alone will bump pay. Uh, you look back to the 70s, 80s, 90s, when most of your head football coaches were the athletic director. And I know in this day and age, you got some coaches that just do not want that headache, and I get it and I understand it. So it's certainly a case-by-case basis, but that is some way uh, that, that you could boost the pay. Now, I want to quote, uh, I don't want an unnamed quote. I hate to say this. I hate to do this, but you know it is what it is. I had a principal who I used to work with here in North Carolina who became a very successful principal in South Carolina. It was a coach for a long time, been in athletics for about 60 about 30 years. 
Good. About 60 years old today. And, and I asked him, I was like, you know, you just moved from a North Carolina school to South Carolina. Why is it that South Carolina can pay their coaches more or so much more successful at building big time programs than what we can do here across the border in North Carolina? And, and he quoted this. And, and, you know, I believe it because I've had other administrators tell me this. He said, because most school systems in South Carolina don't something don't let something as little as education get in the way of building big time high school football <laughs> programs. He said that he as a principal would be more chastised by his administration, by a superintendent by not having a good football team because they view football as a business, as a way to generate income for the school, to other, then to pay for other things like education, extracurricular activities, maybe sports that don't draw money, you know, your income producing sports. Uh, so, you know, use your football as that means, as that tool uh, to provide for everything else in your building. I still think that a high school football coach from a business standpoint should be the second highest paid person inside a school building under under the principal, of course, mm -hmm. because again, it's that principal. There's no other person in a building who is going to dictate attendance, um, morale, you know, discipline, everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a football coach, he sets the tone for the entire school, the entire season. You know, you go to a school and see a football season start off strong. That school is smooth sailing the rest of the year. And I think a lot of it can start with paying these men better. <laughs> Sam, to answer your question, head coaches are based on how many people they supervise. A head football coach supervises a whole lot more people than a head basketball coach. Yeah. That's what they're being paid for is their supervision. Not the fact that football is bigger than basketball. No, I, 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 I'm I just saying. Thought, I think on, I think they all should. Hold on, say one second. I, I've long thought that CMS could raise money for coaching stipends by not giving away those preseason games or the the pre-conference games to other people. Host those those pre-conference games yourself. Put them in one of your stadiums or in basketball your gyms, and and turn that money around towards coaching stipends. I've always thought that, and nobody's ever done it. But I think that'd be a way. That's a great to, idea to try to raise money. If you had a city championship basketball tournament in December, um, it would it would make gugavs of money. If you had a couple pre pre conference football double headers, it would raise gugavs of money. I, I think that's a lot. Sam, my, my question to you before we got this topic. It, how hard is it to be a football coach in Charlotte? Let this just—I'm going to use really small numbers. You're making a hundred dollars a year, and the South Carolina comes and says we're going to give you two hundred dollars a year. How hard is that to turn down? Uh, it's very hard to turn down. Sometimes um, you have to make the impact. It's a family thing. So there's a lot of coaches I know that have already went to South Carolina. I mean, Jupiter Wilson, myself. I've been offered certain jobs that have to make sense to move your whole family and. Um, we do it because we love certain kids. We grew up around North Carolina. I, don't, I think what we should do as coaches, they consider, like in CMS, they consider what we do as a bonus. So it doesn't affect our teaching job whatsoever. It's not considered striking. What if we just became teachers for one year? If we all were teachers one year, we'd had to suck it up. And then, you know, if you just think we're doing this for extracurricular activities and when we go into a job interview, do you think they ask us a lot of education class uh questions or they ask us football questions football. They consider it a bonus and so yeah. if we all just stuck together for one year we could change that agenda quickly because you are responsible for uh cultures in school where you know we do a lot more things than just coaching football <laughs> i hate to say it but we do get extremely underpaid and we do it because they know that we love kids and we'll keep doing it right. but if we all came together as coaches one day and just said look the hours that we put in we make actually, I think it's like 31 cent an hour for the hours that we put in. That's insane. Is that worth the time? You know, and uh, that's that's what 
hurts the whole deal. I just think that we'd have they, to rally they take together. take advantage, like Sam says, they take advantage of our love for the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll, we'll leave it there. Gary, last week was probably the best week of the season, at least in Charlotte, maybe even the last couple seasons. What were the highlights for you? We had some phenomenal games. The highlights for me is the big powerful schools or so-called powerful schools in Charlotte have terrible offenses. <laughs> they have terrible offenses, and I'm going to just call it out like I see it. Uh -huh. You know, Huff scored one touchdown against Chambers, no touchdowns against Mallet Creek. Mm. Mallet Creek scored no touchdowns against Huff, except defensive touchdowns. Chambers scored one touchdown against Huff. Now, these schools claim to be the powers, the top five in the state. Something's wrong with their offenses. Too many bubble screens. Okay. okay? They, they are not good on offense. Now, they're good at running it up against lesser teams mm -hmm. and making their point average look good. Mm -hmm. But when they play each other, their offenses are not good at all. I think Tommy not spoiled us all back in the 90s and early 2000s in defense. Chris, what, what highlight – and you want to piggyback off Gary, that's fine, but what kind well, of – The only thing I want to say about – what Gary just said, and I got to agree 100%. I've been saying this for years about my football coach and brethren out there. You know, I come from an older school generation, you know, where we would run the ball downfield, and you know you want to get downfield and downhill quickly. Uh, it, it burns me up to see coaches who are willing to have a sideline-based offense. You know, they're willing to throw the ball sideways to go forward, and that just don't work. You know, when you get in a game like we saw, you know, a Huff or a Mallet Creek where the, the, the chips are even and you've got mm -hmm. the same type of dogs on both sides of the fields, you can't go sideways to go forward because you got guys that can equalize that field and take away that advantage. You know, going against the – you know, the lesser teams of the world, you can do that. Uh, but you, eventually, you've just got to be able to run that ball downfield. So I got to agree with Gary hey, on that. Chris, hey, Chris, one of them coordinators from one of those high schools went out there and called the game for the Panthers on Sunday, didn't he? plays. Well, I, for, yeah. for me, I thought last week had a lot of phenomenal games. Um, that Charlotte, I, I've watched the Charlotte Christian Province Day game, one of the best games I've seen in a couple of years. I think Dad would agree. Uh, and then to hear about Mallet Creek uh, going up and beating Huff. And Derek Chambers asked us, how, how do we like our crow fried baked barbecue? I like my uh, baked and barbecue, Derek. I like my baked and barbecue. But, uh, I, I, I never thought – I never said that Huff was going to dominate that game. I, I think I was the one that kind of well, we said – all, all the pickers – you don't pick, but all the pickers yeah. pick. Oh, okay. I got you. I'll, I'll take some Texas Pete with mine. <laughs> I, like, I like mine smoked, Derek. I like Sam, Sam, what county in the Charlotte area has the best football? I mean, it's Mecklenburg County. <laughs> I mean, that's the best football. Oh, the guru is shaking his head. Who is You're it? You're saying Mecklenburg, county, which Mecklenburg. county is the best, like, producing championships in the that's last the best year? Football. Just open-ended question, the best football. Well, the most talented football is in Mecklenburg County. Yeah, yeah yes, yes, yes. The most yeah. talent far and away, bar none, is not even up for discussion. Mecklenburg County rules the roost. Best football right now, you know, and it has changed hands every now and then. You know, Cabarrus was big for a while, but there's no question. If we're going to call Cleveland County, Cabarrus, Mecklenburg, or Charlotte yeah. football, Cleveland County's got the best football, and it ain't even close. No, I agree, but they, they I agree with that, you know, because they have traditional matchups that everybody attends, and the, the environment's really good. I think we do a poor job in Mecklenburg County to – creating these environments. I thought we we missed the ball this year, being able to be at West Charlotte, a new school. A lot of people would have showed up to see it, and we had ways that we could have worked it out, and we didn't. Um, you know, it is what it is. I'm not afraid to say it anymore, but I think we should have been able to play at least one or two games at West Charlotte. 
Um, but there's some things that we missed the ball on in Mecklenburg County. But talent-wise, it's hands down, it's Mecklenburg County. And, and see, that's, that's the misnomer. Talent and best don't mean the same thing. Yes. I mean, you know, I got in trouble on TV a couple years ago for saying Mallory Creek had the best collection of talent in the state, but they didn't have the best team. And, you know, there, you'd have thought that I had three years and horns sticking out of my head. But it was true. <laughs> and, and I still say, you know, CMS is the problem. You know, the school systems have just gotten so big for each other, and, you know, and equality is such a big word for them. They want everybody to be the same. You know, if you'd start breaking up some of these big systems, kind of like you see in South Carolina, like with different districts, like you see in a York County or in Spartanburg County, for example, where you've got two or three different districts within a district mm. within a system and, and allow them to be more community-based, I think you'd start to see a lot better football. And a lot better, I, don't, I don't need to say football. I want to say extracurricular activities yeah. for every athlete, every yeah. kid in that yeah. school. Dale Ross has called for that for years, and I, I fought him at first. I actually agree with him now. I think CMS does need to chop it up. Too big. Columbia, Columbia's, Columbia's not even half our size. They're chopped up into multiple districts, and it works for them. Um, all right, outside the region, I see my man Dalen signed on, so I'm going to get to him. Outside the region, which county has the best football? Outside of the Charlotte area, Gary, what county has the best football? Just like uh, Chris just said, it's – it's. Um, not Cleveland. Cleveland's in the Charlotte area. Outside okay, of you said in the Charlotte area. Out, outside of the Charlotte area. Which county I guess, is the I guess this year it would be um, – not for what what county okay. is Greensboro? Greensboro, okay. oh, Greensboro uh, Guilford. Guilford, Guilford County. County. Okay, Chris, I think Guilford is the best this year. Chris, you agree with that? Well, this year, no. I I, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. I think I think it's again. I think Cleveland County. You put those teams. You put Burns in four A, and they're still a top fifteen team. I I wow. just think Cleveland County's a little bit different. Wow. You put you put Burns. I hear you. So I'm talking about. I mean, I like we're their not, coach. We're not Wake I, or Forsyth County. No, no, no votes. I wish you guys could see our chat here on the side. It's like no, up. the chat's going. The chat's going nuts. The chat's going. We're going crazy over there. The chat's going nuts. All right, we're gonna leave it there. I, I got my man Dalen who who disappeared on me. I'm gonna bring him in in a second. Dalen, come back on the screen. I'm gonna bring you in and uh, let uh... Cameron. Where are you? <laughs> Cameron's there. We just we just waiting on uh, waiting on Smothers to come back. And then we go, oh, there he is. <laughs> What's up, Smothers? What's up? What's up? How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Good. Good. So uh, I know you're not playing this year, and I know that's been hard. But you know, tell me what have you been doing in lieu of playing uh, to to get yourself ready? Um, you know, just staying mentally there. You know, it's hard. You know, I've been playing football my whole life, so. Really just staying, staying in the motion, going to games, you know, Fridays, and still watching them guys and not being a part of that, it's, you know, it's kind of hard. So mentally staying in it, you know, keep myself up because I always, you know, football is all I know. And off the field, it's kind of hard to, like, find peace and stuff like that and all that, but as I always went to football. So now just, you know, finding other things I can do to, you know, come to a nice place and space and all that, free from everything else and all that, so. So really mentally staying there, you know, working out all that on my own, honestly, not, you know, not being with the team anymore and all that. So, you know, just working out, going to the gym, staying in shape, um, you know, going to the field. Well, I know, you, I know, you, play, I know you plan to graduate early. You're going to have fresh legs when you get to Norman. How, I mean, I know you want to play, but is there a little bit of bonus of, of having, you know, all this rest time and being fresh legged at least? 
Nah, definitely, especially for my position. You know, taking a lot of hits at running back, a whole year off is not, you know, it's not bad at all. So going there, fresh legs and on there, you know, I'm I'm coming there ready to play, you know, so it's a great thing. You're going to have to be able to play right away. I know that. <laughs> well, that was kind of my next question. What do you think about Oklahoma because y'all been struggling? I mean, it happens, you know. So it's a it's a Coach BV first year, so you know, it what com- it what comes with it, you know. He he expecting this new class, you know, come in and be a big part of his turnaround. So we just it happens. Yeah. Are, you, it happens. are you talking to the guys? You- I am. I'm talking to a couple guys. You know, yeah, I stay in touch with Eric Gray or the running back group as well. You know, so yeah. yeah so, but they they all good. Like like the uniforms they wore last game said unity. So that's. Everybody's buying in to Coach Venerables. Ain't nobody falling apart. Everybody's staying together. So it's just really showing what they could really be about in the future. So I can't I wait. I think he does a good job preaching the soul mission. One of his things that he talks about is soul mission. I think he does a really good job of, you know, attacking the way you're looking at life in general, not just football. And right. I think his culture is being set right now. They just they had a big win Saturday. They beat Kansas, I believe it was, yeah. right? It's right. Still a big win. Yeah, yeah he, he does a great job preaching that, you know. He building great young man on and off the field. So I really trust Coach BV with the program 100%. Like, he's a great dude. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to ask you, um, Arizona, the whole state, you can go wherever you want. Winston-Salem, you can go to high school wherever you want. Do you think the CMS needs to kind of look at the transfer rules and maybe have open enrollment, let kids go where they want as long as there's room? I definitely feel like that. You know, it just – you know, speaking of my situation, you know, I don't feel like it was fair. You know, especially how, how it was handled and everything. You know, like even it wasn't even the right information. So I definitely feel like they should make some changes. You know, me not being the only one just happening to. Them, so I definitely like it should be a change at some point. Yeah. Um, right. I love the I love the comment on that, but I'm not. <laughs> Please don't, Sam. What's I'm up, not. Scoot Simmons? How you doing, man? I ain't seen uh, Scoot Simmons in ages, man. Scoot Simmons was a heck of a running back like you, Dalen, back in the day. Oh yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I, that with Coach Simmons a couple of times, so he he's a real great dude. Now, yeah. I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna brag on Dalen a little bit. You know, I saw him in spring football, and uh, you know, I've I've played against him, you know, multiple years, and I've said it multiple times. I think he's the best running back I've ever seen in person, and I've and I've coached one of the best players in the country at running back. The best player in the country. Don't 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 downplay. Yeah, the best one. player in the country at one time. And this guy is the best running back I've ever seen, and he's a better leader of men than most guys that I've seen. Uh, he's able to – if he wanted to play corner, he'd be probably be the best corner in the in the state. If he wanted to play wide receiver, he'd be one of the best wide receivers in the state. He is a phenomenal football player, and he eats it. He loves it, and he's a passionate leader. Whoever gets him in the past, I said, was going to be way better of a team in college getting him. And, you know, the Sooners are getting a phenomenal football player, and I say it right here and there. He will play year one and be a guy. I'm wow. not just saying that, but now, now Hollywood. I used to always doubt Sam. Sam, I, I met Sam when um, uh, when my man was in ninth grade. He was in ninth grade when, when you called me and he said he's the best player in the country. And I said, "There's no way." That's right. He was. I, I said, There's no way that the best player in the country is a Hardy. There's no way. And he became the best player in the country. Then he started telling me Drake May is the best quarterback he ever saw. We used to argue that. And Drake mm-hmm. May is probably going to be up for the house next year. So he's putting a stamp on you. I'm not going to argue. Good luck to you next year. I hope you blow up and do well. Yeah, Coach, Coach Sam, yeah. He knows football. Like, that's one thing I say. Like, even though we would have been a great duo together, like, he taught me a lot of things before we even got to step on the field together. Like, I'm really – I really appreciate Coach Griner, like, 
like his knowledge of the game is different. Like he's just, you know, he really cared for his players off the field. Like I haven't played a snap with him, but I know like you know, a person to call for any situation who I can talk to if I need information about this. If you don't got it, he'll go get it. Like he he knows his stuff, man. You know, even though I ain't got to play a snap with him, like I said, it's like he teaching me a lot of things in so much other ways. Like I, I really appreciate Coach Garner. All right, before we get to the game show part, I got to ask, how good would West Charlotte have been had you hooked up with Coach and you were playing this year? Undefeated. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm talking about. 100%. Just knowing, just when I came, when I first got over there, we were just, like he said, like it was just able to fit in. Like I was around a lot of guys I related to, and they was all buying in. And like Coach, I stepped in trying to be a leader, and those guys would listen like it. It was just, I just know it would be a whole different different story at this point because them finding out I can't play, I feel like it did kind of take a toll. Mm. So, I mean, think about what West Charlotte's been through. They went through, you know, Hollywood not being able to play. Um, They went through my suspension. And we are still going to win the 3A championship in our conference, and we're going to be hell to deal with in the playoffs. As well uh, as no too, Coach. As long as you had to go to Kings Mountain week, too. Yeah, so it's it's I mean, a lot. It is. <laughs> if we you got to beat them to beat the, to win the whole thing. It's what it yeah, is. You do. What you do. What first you week. Do. All right, Smothers. Now you know how the game show works. So we are gonna start asking. I need a win right now. I'm, I'm gonna... first. And, and Sam, now, Chelsea, did Sam lose last week? Yes. Yes. I got smacked. I want you to make sure you give him two L's before you get in. I'm playing some <laughs> theme music. I'm contractually obligated to play, and then we'll get to it. Bro, I'm not MJ. Just Coach Griner. But I'm the GOAT of the game show. All right, Hollywood, you're going to go first and let Alex read the question, and then you answer, and then Sam answer, and we'll reverse. Go ahead, Alex. In 2000, Oklahoma won the BCS Orange Bowl. Who did the Sooners beat 13-2? A, Miami, B, Notre Dame, C, Ohio State, D, Florida State. So you, Dalen, who you got? Oh, I'm going to go with Ohio State. Ohio State. Samuel, what do you got? Hmm. I'm going to go with Florida State as well. You, he guessed Ohio State. Oh, I'm going Florida State. You're going Florida State. Florida State is the right answer, so you're up one to nothing. All right. Did you, did you know that? Or you did, you know, did you know that or were you guessing? I thought I knew it had to be an ACC team. So, if Florida State is the Orange Bowl, they always pick someone from the ACC. So, yeah. Somebody told me we need to put you on a clock and make you guys answer at the same time so you can't do what you're going to try. I mean, I don't care what other people say. This is, <laughs> you this say is Whose face is on the game show? Tell them to come talk to that person. Chelsea. <laughs> it's the number one song on the Oh, iTunes my gosh. Are we doing Netflix. this again? It's a music song, and it's sung by Sam Smith and Ken Petra. What's the name of this track? A, Unholy. B, Cuff It. C, everywhere, or D, I'm good, blue. Samuel, what do you got? <laughs> um, I'm going to say B, cuff it. B, cuff it. All right. What do you got, Dalen? Uh, oh, I'm going to go see again everywhere. 
Everywhere. Nope. The answer is A unholy. So we are still uh, Sam up one to nothing. I can't even say that word. I, I was I didn't even want to say it, Coach Grant. I, I didn't want to say it. You can call <laughs> it by the letter. You know, I probably with two Christian guys on here. I probably shouldn't have come up with that question. <laughs> oh you, my you, God. You, you 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 can just say the letter if you're not cool with it. Um <laughs> hey, tell Gary in the back to chill with that comment. What did he say? He said, I'm turning into Jordan with the Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was the GOAT. I mean. I know, I know, I know. Calm down, man. I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a slump right now, okay? Alex. <clears throat> I'm still winning this one right now. Right now. Alex. This pop superstar is rumored to have her first new song in years as an end credit song in the new Black Panther Wakanda Forever film. Who is she? A, Taylor Swift. B, Rihanna, C, Britney Spears, D, Adele. It is on you, Mr. Hollywood. I'm going with, you said in years? Yep. Hmm. I say Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. What you got, Samuel? I want to say in years. Yeah, I'll go with Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, okay. I'm going to go, it's, it's, it's a Black Panther, right? The new Black Panther. Right. It's gotta be it's gotta be a soulful. I'm gonna go Rihanna. Dang, Sam is up two to nothing. <laughs> I know I thought Rihanna been talking like that, Gary. Don't you talk about me. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan still hit 40 once a month when he was with the Wizards. That's right. And I'm dropping songs. I wouldn't lose it to one of my own players. I'm gonna tell you that right now. Oh my goodness. I thought Rihanna been dropping music. <laughs> he hadn't had an album out in a long time. She hadn't had an album out in a long time. All right, um, I lost, you guys got me laughing. I lost my place. Um, hey, I appreciate this win right here at Hollywood. Thank it's you. not over. It's not hey. over. Justin, oh, it's, over. it's over. Chelsea, let's go. Chambers beat Richmond Senior 38-7 to in the 2019 NC 4AA Regional Championship game. Who did Richmond beat 35-32 to in the regional semifinals? A, East, Forth- East Forsyth, B, Myers Park, C, Butler, or D, West Forsyth? Samuel. The regional semifinals, correct? The regional semifinals. Uh, they beat B, Myers Park. What do you think, uh, David? Yeah, correct. B. That, is, that is correct answer. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I was trying to throw a little regional semifinals in. No, like, Sam, you actually went to that game. You broadcasted it. For oh me. yeah, I ain't losing. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, I would really be shocked if you got that wrong. That would that would have like blown my mind. Mm. But Sam is technically one. But we're gonna do this last question anyway, just because I, I think this is a cool question. Uh, my new boss came up with this question today. Uh, Alex. Hendon Hooker had 385 yards passing, five touchdowns in the Alabama upset Saturday. He had six touchdowns, 300-plus yards, and a 54-0 state title win for Dudley in 2016. Who did Dudley beat? Dudley beat. I'm going Scotland County. Scotland County. What you got, Sam? It was was either A, Cape Fear, or Greenville Rose. And I'm going to say A, Cape Fear. A is Cape Fear is the right answer. You won. I'm sorry, my phone's ringing. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Honestly, just I'm just I know. only heard of Scotland County. I know, but like you got to just know. Like I just I see these are real questions. I'm not going to lose. When we have real questions, not okay. not pop culture every five seconds. Right. I, I had a little study pop culture for like two hours this past week because of this show. 
You had to study pop culture. But David, man, thanks for coming on. I know you got to go run, man. But uh, hey, the smile's looking fantastic, brother. Yeah, good I, luck. I appreciate good luck. it. Good luck the rest of the year, and hopefully we'll get to see you uh, uh, in Oklahoma next season. Sam says you're going to be on the field, so I look for it. Yes, sir. Yeah, be, he'll be the dude. Uh, we might do a part two or something. I'm not satisfied with my loss. So. All right. We'll definitely bring you back. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Y'all have a good time. See right. you tomorrow, man. David Smith's a good kid. All right. It's time to uh, find out who Grice and – where's Chris? Grice and Chris picked out for our um, Grice's Grice. Gems, who are the players of the week. I got to find it. Here we go. All right. Grice. What's going on, guys? I know we're looking a little different. I, I'm the guru. I, you know, I had to switch it up. I had to bring on Coach Griner with me for a week nine edition of Grice's Gems as we head into week 10. Uh, we'll go ahead and get into it here with some of our best from the state of Grice's Gems. First guy up is Tanner Ballou out of Northwest Guilford. Tanner in a 47-21 win over Jamestown Ragsdale. Ballou was 18 of 27 for 311 yards. And Griner, get this, seven touchdowns. That's what I'm saying, seven touchdowns. That means completion. Had a QBR of 145.2. Griner, Coach Kevin Wallace has been sending me stuff every week. He's got some guys. They've been doing some big-time performances, Griner. Tell me what you see in this film. I see it right here. This guy is like a leader of men because rocket number 12, you better be like TB, Tom Brady. And man's throwing seven touchdown passes. That's big time. That'll that'll win a lot of games. You throw seven touchdown passes. <laughs> oh, definitely. And again, Northwest Guilford's been streaking uh, towards the end of this year. Coach is really believing in their side, and I can see why with uh, with Tanner Ballou in there. Next, we're going to head out to Fayetteville with Sincere Baines out of Jack Britt. Had a big-time performance out there, 298 yards rushing <laughs> and three touchdowns. And, again, he needed all those yards and all those touchdowns in a big 27-20 win over Cape Fear. Baines has been a guy that's streaking up, and somebody I told Langston we got to consider for Mr. Football, 1,360 yards and 16 touchdowns, good for eighth in North Carolina for rushing yards this year. Griner, what do you see in this big-time backs film? Man looks like he runs the 400-yard dash, 400-meter dash. I mean, the boy can run. I mean, he's got almost 300 yards in this one game. What is it, a couple yards shy of the 300? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's big time. You said he needed every bit of them to win this game, but – the guy is dangerous when he gets in the open field. He actually has quick feet, as you can see right there. He can change direction. Kid's got it all. Jack Britt's got something right here. Oh, definitely. I know those coaches and Coach Grandetta, the offensive coordinator, is definitely excited with, with having him in the backfield. Next, we're going to go to Makai Carr out of Butler. Before we get into his highlights, we had an interview. Observer reporter Steve Lido caught up with him to discuss the game-winning play. I mean, we, we had to get a stop on defense. We got our stop, returned the kickoff. We went down, made a huge play. We scored off that in the red zone. After that, it all came down to firing off as a team. We, we, made, it, we made it work. So one way or another, we made it work. And I couldn't do it without all my teammates. You, on that last pass, uh, that was a crazy play. Uh, you, you, you said to me you were in the right place at the right time. That's pretty much it, isn't it? That's, that's all I could, I could explain. Right. I was waiting for the ball. Now, I thought it was going to go out of bounds or anything. It came straight to me. took it. I had to. When, when you caught the ball after it was up in the air, uh, you turned. Did you see it look like a pretty much open field yep. for you at the end zone? I saw somebody taking a good angle, but <laughs> he, can't, he can't catch me. He can't catch me, so that's pretty much it. 
Oh, my goodness. Big time performance ground. Let me tell you about the rest of this. And what was probably one of the games of the year in CMS. Makai Carr scored three touchdowns in the final nine minutes and 47 seconds as the Bulldogs rallied from a 19 to nothing deficit to beat Catholic 20 to 19. Again, they were down 19 nothing. He returned a kickoff back 68 yards for a touchdown, caught an eight yard scoring pass that cut the lead to 1914. And finally, he caught a tip pass intended for a teammate, Dequandre Currents, and ran 47 yards for that final score to put them up ahead. Those go ahead points there. Griner, what do you see here? One of the most amazing games. This kid was a star in that game. Well, I love to see this on homecoming night. You know, the kid just refused to lose, refused to lose. You know, I'm a former Butler Bulldog myself, and this guy's got a spirit inside of him that it didn't matter what he was doing. If he was kickoff return, wide receiver, just competing. He was refused to lose and won a huge game versus a tough opponent in Charlotte Catholic. Oh, definitely. Again, Makai Carr, big-time game. You do, do that in one of the biggest games of the year to turn your team up front and send Coach Brian Hills on his birthday out with the win. Oh, I didn't know it was on his birthday. On his birthday. That was one of the best presents he could get. No uh, doubt. Let's, forward. let's stay in the Charlotte area. Trip Woody. Hey, Grinder, we get everybody. Special teams, that third side. Hey, kicked a 47-yard field goal with no time remaining. This was a walk-off kick, Grinder, to lift his team to a 38-37 win over Providence Day, which, of course, as we know, was ranked number one in the Observer Sweet 16 regional poll. Christian 12 by 20 points twice, Grinder, twice in this game, and mm-hmm. didn't get a first down into the second quarter. But by the time they got to the end, hey, we know with the MJ fadeaway, Trip Woody was the guy to kick That's that right. and send them to the, to the victory. Hey, Scotty. Run the triangle. I mean, <laughs> man, just, boot, yes, sir. just boot, boots it down the middle. It was it over 40 yards, you said, right? Yeah, 47 yards. Yep. Man, that is unbelievable. In a game of this magnitude, I mean, playing the number one Sweet 16 opponent, to win this game on his leg, the Clydesdale horse leg. I mean, he needs a new nickname. I'm calling him Clydesdale for now. Again, it was a phenomenal performance. They needed that kick more than ever to put one of the biggest upsets. Let's move forward. So the last guy we got, we've been raising the bar each week with with guys that are getting the call. We've got Jordan Young here out of Monroe High School. Had a big-time 40 to nothing win over Parkwood. Let me tell you what Jordan did. He entered, Monroe intercepted six passes, big-time performance. But, Young, again, you're a sophomore. You had four interceptions. I know you're in a game, you're thinking, all right, I did all right. Let's put this in this into perspective. The public school record in the state is five, shared by five different players. So, Jordan, only as a sophomore, you're already the second most ever in one single game. Jordan, listen, you glad we got you here. You had to get the call for this all-time great performance. Can you talk about just how you felt? And, and, and did you realize, you know, where you were or what you were doing as you were getting these interceptions? Um, at the time, I didn't know what the record was, but I kept it in the back of my head. Um, I kept making plays. They kept trying me, so had to pick it off. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they kept trying you because even when you caught the ball, you looked very dangerous and shifty. So you look you look spectacular, no doubt. You attacked the ball at the highest point as well. You know, extremely good athlete as a sophomore. That's that's huge. I mean, that's amazing, man, Jordan. We like I said, we are proud of you again. So what what was it going into this game? Did you feel like they were going to try you being a sophomore? Have you seen teams try you though this year? Uh, they all been trying me all year, but every single time they try me, it's been a pick like every other time. 90% of the time. I don't know why they keep trying me. 
Hey. My man going to end up with 30 picks at the end of the year. <laughs> well, and I know because, again, we, we hey, I've played, you know, I have the fortune to coach against Monroe. I know you guys have all-time athletes. You guys have great guys that are, you know, go on to play ball in, in, in college and in the pros. So, again, you seem to be another guy in that long line. You know, we're glad to have you on, though, Jordan. Again, four interceptions. We, we had to give you a call. Big-time performance, Jordan. Any last words? Any, yeah, you want to tell any quarterback that you have left on your schedule? Any last words for him? There you have it again. He is tied for second most in state history with four interceptions after that big time win uh, you know, against Parkwood. Jordan, we appreciate having you on. Keep balling. You do this again, I guarantee we're going to have you back on, Jordan. Thank you for having me. No problem. All right, guys, if you have a big time performance and want to get on Grice's Gems, please reach out to me at Coach J. Grice on Twitter, at Langston Wirtz Jr. on Twitter, at Observer Preps. You know, we've got to get you guys on here. We're glad this thing is gaining steam. As we always talk about each week, hey, if you had a big-time performance and you're not sure yet of your final stats, reach out to us on Saturday and let us know what's going on. But as we always like to say, Griner, if you ball, you're going to get the get call. The call. All right, Coach Christ, you did a great job playing the guru this week. Uh, I was out there up in the mountains looking at leagues, and, man, you are and, – and Langston says this every week about me, but I disagree since I'm in charge. I'm going to say it. Coach Christ, the number one voice in high school football. Nah, not close. I'm learning from you. But, again, that was – it's always fun. We got Griner on there. Hey, Griner's coming up the rankings too. Glad we got him Looking on there. Smooth, Coach Griner. I'm, 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 a good, I'm a good Robin. I ain't a Batman yet on that. So. <laughs> oh, man, you, you both did great. Hey, let's – Let's roll the theme music and let's get into some rankings for this week. Rapid fire right here. We saw the countdown from 10 to 1. Let's look at them. We're going to start right here with 1A here for the Talking Preps, North Carolina High School football rankings for the week. Uh, not a lot of changes. Uh, you see Tarball right there in the top. Uh, Coach Jeff Craddock and those Vikings have just seemingly uh, cruised through here lately, especially with that big 50-14 victory over Riverside. Uh, Mount Airy right there, Eastern Randolph, extremely tough. Andrews, look at that three-way tie coming out of the Smoky Mountain Conference with three-way battle right there. Uh, Andrews, Murphy, Robbinsville. Uh, we know how good Cutler Adams is. That's some great football up there. Thomasville's doing great things. Northampton County. Uh, Northmore's a team. Uh, they had that big come from behind victory over an exceptionally talented Burlington Cummings team uh, Friday night and drawn right there in the top ten. Uh, any discussions from you guys? I'm excited to see Northmore out of Robbins, North Carolina. I mean, that that's probably one of the historically great seasons for them this year. And I think they're going to keep it rolling in the playoffs. So excited to see them on the top ten. They must have a heavy senior class, Northmore. Actually, they've been really good for about three, four years in a row. They they have they've had a they've had an exceptional run. Uh, you know, uh, Dorsett, one of the running backs, was uh, Grice's gym a couple times or one time last year. Uh, they had a really good run. Uh, so uh, I can't can't say enough good things about Northmore though. Uh, we're going to move on to the two way ranking stuff. Uh, this is probably one of the most, if not the most, competitive uh, classifications I think. In, in the state of North Carolina, just, you know, it's about 20, 25 teams deep and really solid football teams. Uh, right there, we've got Burns coming in at number one, Monroe, Reedsville, East Surrey, Shelby. I think you can blow up, throw a blanket over about that top seven or eight. Uh, Shelby, I still think, is the best team that might end up holding the hardware in December. Uh, Wallace Rose Hill, East Duplin had that big 77-21 victory 
uh, over South Lenore Friday night. Uh, they are really well coached. Battle Holly's got that team looking right at the right direction. Uh, Coach Chris Cogdell and Chase, they are looking awfully strong. Clinton had that huge uh, victory over St. Paul's. Uh, Maiden, uh, there's about six or seven teams that ain't even on the list that I think are strong, strong football teams. So this 2A is where it's at. Oh, for sure. And Guru, like I look at the Wallace Rose Hill team again, one loss in there at six. That one loss to one uh, to Leesville Road for a team again for a power that we know. So seeing a one loss team in sixth place right there, that was their one loss by ten points. I think that's going to prove vital when it comes to yeah. playoff time. I, I agree. Actually, Go I ahead, think, coach. Uh, coach Devine, like it burns. I think he's one of the best coaches around in the surrounding areas. Worked with him in the uh, in the Charlotte Bowl you know, the Queen City Bowl, and he, he's a phenomenal guy to be around. I think he does a great job, and it's no surprise that Burns is top of this 2A rankings this year. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, just looking at the 2A, I mean, there's some teams on the outside looking in, Salisbury, Forest Hills, Princeton, uh, J.M. Robinson, Bunker Hill. I got a lot of respect for Bunker Hill after that game gets made. I mean, that's some really strong football. Northeastern Holmes, James Keenan, uh, Hertford County, West Craven with a big victory over – Green Central. I mean, again, I'm looking at my list right here, and you can go all the way down to like who I've got at like 27th, Pine Lake Prep at 8 0. I mean, there's a lot of really good football teams in 2A. No doubt. Agreed. All right, man, let's move on to, to 3A. Uh, again, great football there as well. Kings Mountain right there, number one. Uh, Southern Nash, I'm still real high uh, on, on that team at Southern Nash, a 71st right there. South Point, Havelock, Greenville Rose, even with that huge loss to uh, Newburn. Uh, I, I just think that Rose is an exceptionally strong team. Uh, Crest, Eastern Alamance, um, East Lincoln. Uh, again, uh, we could go 15 more teams deep into 3A and have some exceptionally quality teams. I'd like to know what Dell Ross thinks is going to end up outside. If Kings Mountain doesn't make it to the 3A state championship, who does out of the West? Hmm. I think South Point's got a real good shot at it. I was highly impressed with them in that Kings Mountain game. They're a great program. I think they're one of the best, no doubt. Yeah, they got to find they got to find some do a little more passing than like they did at the end of that Kings Mountain game. But yeah, the Kings Mountain Sam is they're they're solid. They're as solid as these four A teams I've been. Yeah, their defense is legit too, like the top four A team. So they can yeah. compete with anybody. What do you think, Alex? Uh, I'm going to go with South Point or East Lincoln. I think okay. the trick in these situations, as we talk about all the time, is we have to see what the brackets look like. I think okay. we all can. I think we all can agree that just straight up on paper, Kings Mountain is as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. But if it's not going to be Kings Mountain. Let's see what the brackets look like. And and then we have the possibility of we all know that there are teams who win championships where some things happen in other parts of the bracket that open it up. So yeah. it's it, a brutal yeah, bracket. Too too many too many variables there. But if not Kings Mountain, I like what South Point, even though we know that they need to pass a little more, and East Lincoln bring to the table. Yeah. Guru, Alex, let me I say one yeah. thing. Sam, I think, uh, like Alex just said, a lot's going to depend on the bracket for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it's a tough, it's a tough, this might be the toughest top, you know, top 25, 30, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Bryce thinks that too. He thinks this is the the toughest division to figure out outside of like Kings Mountain. He thinks this is just up in the air. Agreed. Well, I think you just have so many people play each other in that top, you know, three A bracket. I mean, you look at Kings Mountain, South Point got Crest coming uh, next week. I mean, all these teams. I feel like even the four A is the Fight Club. Three A is like the neighborhood. Like everybody's playing each other. I feel like, <laughs> and even on the East Side. You know, you get Dudley in there, throwing them in there with some teams. J.H. Rose is out there playing um, some quality competition. They had Newburn the other other week of 4A power. So it just it's like the neighborhood if we call 4A the fight club, I guess. Yeah, I agree. And I want to agree with Alex, too, about East Lincoln and South Point. But I'm still going to say Crest is kind of that dark horse sitting out there. I've looked at a lot of film this week of Coach Jim Sosby and that Crest team, and they are a team that I have seen massive improvement from week one to week eight. Uh, they're a team that has the talent to be good, uh, but they're getting really good. And just kind of throw it out there. There's some teams on the outside looking in that are really good. Oak Grove is sitting right there. Uh, Lee County had a huge game against uh, Richmond, fell short late. Uh, Southern Durham, even at five and four or four and five, uh, they're four and four. They're a really strong team. Uh, Rocky Mount had that big win. Uh, North Brunswick's hanging in there. Jacksonville at three and four is a team I would not want to play in the East. Uh, Southern Nash is still going to be tough. If Scotland makes it in, if West Mech, if West Charlotte, one of those teams, there's going to be some tough teams in there that I do not want to play in the first or second round of the playoffs if I'm some upcoming coaches. I mean, I, I Ledford, Walter Williams, you know, Hickory, there's some teams that I think are getting Golden. better. West Henderson. There's a, there's a lot know, of good I, I think the jury's still out on West Henderson, Tuscola. You know, I know they're both 8-0, but I, I just don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. You know, history shows us that those teams can bang on each other from up there in the mountains, and they come down the mountain in the first or second round and just get pulverized. And I hope I'm not true, no, but that's kind of what history right. shows. Well, you see, the situation with those mountain conferences, once you move out of Asheville City, Buncombe County itself, there's good football, as we know, with the likes of Tuscola and Pisgah. But historically, as Chris said, it, we just really don't know. And I think, I mean, we give kudos to West Henderson for the turnaround they've had this year and the opportunity they're going to have uh, coming up against Tuscola. But I think the same thing prevails that, that, that Chris just said and so many other others have said on this panel. We, we just don't know. Yeah, I agree. Well, hey, let's turn our attention finally to the foray. Uh, this is obviously the Fight Club, as Coach Grice is uh, affectionately named over the years. Uh, no surprise right there, number one, Easter Scythe. Uh, 54-7 victory uh, this past week uh, over J.H. Rose. Newburn moves up to second. Mallet Creek with a huge jump with their big victory over Huff. Uh, I think you can throw a blanket over that Mallet Creek, Huff, Chambers. They're all really good. Butler, I think, is an exceptionally good football team, as we saw with that come-from-behind victory over Catholic. I'm still You're good on offense. I still think Catholic. I still think Cardinal Gibbons are hard, hard teams to beat. Uh, Why you see them there in the rankings? Wake Forest is a team that I've watched. Coach Reggie Lucas and that team, uh, Nathan De Pasquale. You know that that team um, out of uh, Wake Forest. I just think that that's a hard, hard team in the East. They've got that big game coming up uh, this week, and there's some teams on the outside looking in. And I'll get you, let you guys just dive right into it. Independence, their voice is going to be heard. Weddington, their voice is going to be heard. Oh, by the way, Hillside, eight no, uh, they're going to have a chance. Cleveland, they're still really good. New Hanover, Audrey Kale, you know, we're going to find out a lot. We're going to talk about it later in the show. Uh, Pinecrest, I think, is a sneaky good team. Obviously, you know, Mooresville. Uh, you could go all the way down the 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, I've got Olympic at a 31st ranked team at 8 0. You know, teams around them, you know, I, I still think Richmond County, 
uh, Lake Norman, Porter Ridge, Leesville Road, Heritage. I mean, it is so stacked. I can go 55 teams deep in this 4A and find some really, really good football teams. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you guys kind of chew it up. I like Butler because I think they're balanced on both sides of the ball. You guys talked about offense. Butler can generate, I think they're a little more diverse in their offense, which is probably one of the issues some of the other top teams face. And Butler's got a really strong front seven. So I like Butler out there. I want to comment a little bit on these Eastern teams here, particularly Cardinal Gibbons and Wake Forest. Battle to a 10-9 decision earlier this year in a, in a in a great defensive game. But I think the um, the situation is kind of the same as Gary alluded to earlier in the show concerning the likes of uh, of Huff and whether its offense can do enough to get it done. I think Cardinal Gibbons and Wake Forest both are in situations this year where that same question has to be answered and that will be the ultimate determinant and and, and yes I, i'll go ahead and say it yes nick drew's defense has been exceptional it's going to have to be exceptional for gibbons to be in a similar position as last year wake forest's defense is going to have to be exceptional for the Cougars to be in a position as they have been for the past five years or so. It's the same kind of question that Gary alluded to with Huff. I mean, can't I'm I'm just not sure where a number of these teams are offensively, not that they're bad, but relative to where they have been in previous years. I agree. Hey, by the way, I accidentally called him Nathan DePasquale. It's Michael DePasquale at Wake mm-hmm. Forest. That is one of the most exciting football players I've seen in this state on film, and he just scores football any different way. Uh, so I just want to make sure I corrected myself on that mistake. Well, East right. Forsyth definitely has a great offense out of oh, all gosh, those. Yes. <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw that in person. My, my goodness. Andy, uh, I think, can easily be a top 10 team. I think easy. they're one of the best, easily. Easy. And it was hard for me not to have them in there, to be quite honest. Just Catholic beat them. They edged them out. That's probably where Catholic fits in there right now. Yep. Uh, well, there we are. Uh, and what do we have here? I am behind on my schedule. Let's go through it. Hey, hey we got Chelsea in the picture. Uh, so, hey, it's time for Chelsea's world. Uh, Chelsea, you continue to just get better and better each week. Uh, who do we talk to this week? So this week I interviewed the West Lincoln kicker, Dee Dee Wallace, who was also their homecoming queen. And just a multiple sport athlete, you know, alongside being their female kicker, she's an exceptional soccer and volleyball player. So we just talked about, you know, her place on the team and, you know, the lessons she's learned from being on the football team. Cool. So this week for Chelsea's World, I'm introducing West Lincoln football kicker, Dee Dee Wallace. So Dee, can you get us started and kind of tell us how you found your spot on the football team? Did you have any background in football? Um, so I started off by asking a friend. She was actually the first football kicker at West Lincoln. Her name is Trista Primer. She played for two years um, and then she graduated last year. So I decided I was like, okay, well, I'll, you know, 
try out for the football team since I play soccer and, you know, see how it goes. So can you also tell us, you know, just about the bond you felt being on the team with the coaches, with the other players, you know, what's it like? Yeah, uh, I have a great team. They're so supportive and we are all like really close actually. And uh, the coaches are absolutely accepting with everything. Uh, they support me also. We're all very close. Uh, I actually didn't expect to be like that it's awesome like the bond is just great and I was not expecting it for sure I love that and I know you mentioned soccer and you texted me that you had a volleyball tournament tomorrow yes, yes I was um, a multi-sport athlete kind of tell us the balance between football soccer volleyball what's the difference between all of them it is definitely very difficult doing all that um I wasn't able to attend football practice much with um, volleyball, but the season is coming to an end now, so I will able to uh, will be able to attend more football practice and uh, get to experience a lot more than I have, I guess. For sure. And can you tell us some of the lessons you've kind of taken away? You know, being a kicker on this team. Uh, lessons. I would say that if you have a passion, you should just go for it and never let anyone bring you down. And just because you're a girl doesn't mean you can't like succeed in a male-dominated sport. Absolutely. And continuing from that, what's your favorite memory this season so far? Well, I actually have two. One would be winning homecoming court in my football uniform. But uh, my recent favorite one is score my first field goal. Um, that was pretty exciting. I would say everybody was really hyped up and my family was there to see it. It's just a great moment that I won't ever forget. Absolutely. Both are so awesome. Well, thank you so much for hopping on. Best of luck the rest of the season and you're so inspiring, Dee Thank you. All right, Chelsea. Great work. Um, hey, has Sanderson had their homecoming yet this season? We did. We had it last week against Enla. We won. And were you the queen? No, I did not run for homecoming court. Oh, they missed the boat on that one. Yeah, I chose to um, be in the student section watching the game. Well, I'll, I'll right. tell you a, Sand a Sanderson homecoming memory. Uh, 21 years, 22 years ago now, and this was a ball drop of epic proportions. Somehow, Sanderson's homecoming game was scheduled the day that Sanderson hosted Millbrook, which is an arch rivalry anyway. And Millbrook was loaded back then. Millbrook beat Sanderson on homecoming 51 to nothing. Oh, no. <laughs> the lone highlight, there was a young lady named Chambliss Hill, who was a basketball and soccer standout and was president of the National Honor Society, I believe, who was crowned homecoming queen. That literally was Sanderson's lone highlight of a 51 nothing homecoming loss. I'll, I'll always remember that. <laughs> no. Well, Chelsea, if you want to be on Chelsea's world, give them the famous line, what they need to do. Yes. My Instagram and Twitter at is at Chelsea Sipple. My DMs are open. So hit my DMs and so we can set up an interview to be featured on the best athletic coverage in North Carolina. I love it. I love it. You're the best. <laughs> hit my DMs. Hit my DMs. <laughs> <laughs>
Right. That's Carter's favorite part of the night. It. You just mm -hmm. make, make his night every night with that. Great job. <laughs> All right. Great job as always, Chelsea. Uh, you job, are Chelsea. our homecoming queen. I'll put it that way. Thank you. Yeah. I'll see you next week. All right. Again, that is Chelsea Sipple. Uh, we, we love having her here on the show. What, what an incredible young lady. But, hey, let's run the theme music. We got a big segment coming up right now, uh, the roundtable. Let's do it. All right, gentlemen, here we are for the roundtable here, Talk of Preps. Uh, it's a Tuesday night, so let's go ahead and attack these topics. Uh, Dale, we had another fight on uh, at a high school game this week at uh, Charlotte. It was an Olympics game with South Mech. The game was stopped when it was cleared, unlike some of the earlier games that were called due to the fights. Uh, this one finished. Uh, was this the right call Friday? I think. Oh, wait. Okay. There he is. Yeah, I didn't know if, if you're going to put me in or not. Was it the – so what was the last – what was your question? Did you say was it the right call? Yeah, uh, and, and I think we might have a video for this one. I'm sorry if I'm running off the script a little bit, but, uh, you okay. know, we had that fight between uh, – at Olympic between South Mech and Olympic, and unlike other games uh, this that, that were called, uh, this game finished. Uh, was that the right call? And I think we might have a video for that one. I'm not sure. like you got a post game video that, and i'll go ahead and let you give the commentary that, while that's going dale yeah that looks to be the post game video uh there were approximately 15 people that got into a brawl that started in the lower part of the stands and just spilled out onto the track and literally almost out onto the field and this is, if you guys have noticed, this is a trend that's starting to happen, not just here in North Carolina, but nationally. We're seeing more fights occur in the stands. And uh, this is a highly concerning thing. Uh, of course, I have strong ties to Olympic, and I hate to see events like this occur. Uh, I recall attending two Garinger games where we had shootings out in the uh, parking lots, but these, this kind of violence is we've got to find a way to control it. I think uh, CMS is looking to uh, increase security. I think uh, we need to take our police force and actually make them protect and serve and not just worry about paying off duty cops, but maybe start putting more police uh, in the stands, because unfortunately, I, I think this is a situation that's going to to continue to grow. Uh, when you have a situation like that, you have they evacuated the um, the stadium with everybody except for the uh, the teams. Um, they, hey, before I, before I get to Kim and and Grice's response, Alex, your school administrator, what what do you feel on this? Before we put more uniformed police officers in stands, I am liking more and more what Gaston County has done. I'm sorry it's going to come to that, but I'm liking it more and more. Either you have a parent there or you don't come. And I think we all agree that it is terrible that it has gotten to that point. 
but the overriding reality is and the imperative need is safety has to be paramount and the achievement of optimizing safety has to be a school home partnership more uniformed officers alone are not going to achieve that goal there has to be accountability not from a hey you better do this but from a partnership with the parents reaffirming the vitality of their presence as part of the education-based athletics landscape and working in conjunction with the school to create a holistically positive, formative, and safety-optimized environment. So once I'm again, gonna address that. So I'm sorry the, we got to do it, but the, I'm liking it more and more. Gaston County's policy. So the having dress policemen. I used to fly a lot. Uh, I was. I had over 500 uh, airplane flights in a about a 15 year time period. And I can tell you after 9-11, walking into an airport and having National Guardsmen there set a different tone on me, someone who would never violate any flying or airport rules, but just the presence of those those young uh, National Guardsmen in there set a different tone towards me. Presence of authority does lower people's uh, initiative to want to take action. I agree with you on chaperones. I don't know about a one per one. I do think we need more adults. I ran it through my head. Could we get more teachers to come? But teachers already put so much. When I grew up, we had teachers at games. Teachers love coming to games. So, you saw teachers all over the place. We need more adults in the stands without question. Some way we need to find a way to get more adults as well to help chaperone those groups. Of, uh, yeah, I agree with you, Dale. Hey, Cam, you go to a lot of games. What do you think on this? Yeah, I definitely think there needs to be more of an adult presence, um, especially in the stands, because, I mean, I see, I mean, I'm in the press box usually or on the field, but I see a lot of kids in, in the lower levels of the stands, especially, and from what Dale described, you know, this fight broke out in the lower levels of the stands and, you know, kind of went on the field after that. So I definitely think there needs to be more of an adult presence to make sure that there's, you know, not tipping going on and stuff, stuff sparking up. Yeah, I agree. Well, hey, let's move on here in this roundtable. Um, let's go to our second question. We've seen Huff, uh, we've seen Chambers, we've seen Mallard Creek really struggle uh, to score against one another. Is this really great defensive coordinators going at it or is it just back – Play calling, bad, bad offenses, and I want to go to our resident offense coordinator, Coach Christ, first. What do you think, buddy? I mean, it's definitely great defense, and I think you look at things at kind of ebbing and flowing within the city. I mean, you look a few years ago when you had Drake May in high school and that Myers Park offense with uh, 
you know, uh, Moose Muhammad that's now at Texas A&M, you know, excelling. And you have, you know, a lot of these offensive players that were starring back then. You really saw bigger scores in some of these big games. Now I think you've got a lot more prominent defensive players. And, again, no one looks at modern day and, and John Bosco who played a few weeks ago, the number, you know, top two teams in the nation, and the final score there was 17-7. No one looked at that and said, God, these offensive players are awful. Starting quarterback is, is a five-star and headed to whatever school that he chooses. So you get a great defense, especially in big-time games, is always going to reign supreme. And I don't think it's necessarily a knock on the offenses per se. But, again, I, I do think you have a situation where prominent quarterback play is going to be the key and what's going to be, you know, with some of these three teams I think you see outside of Huff, um, you see guys that, you know, maybe aren't necessarily the polished quarterbacks or guys that are going to, you know, go on and, and be big-time quarterbacks, even Mallet Creek with with a young, you know, quarterback that doesn't really have varsity experience. So I think it ebbs and flows, and at times you get the off prominent offensive guys. Now you have the defensive guys that are starring on uh, all, that side of the ball for all three teams. We've been right, around about me. this, and I'll we all know – We'll just take Chambers right there. We all know about Drake Cannon's prowess. We all know that. So let's just, along the lines of what Coach Grice said, uh, first off, everyone cannot have Jonathan Grice as their offensive coordinator. So is your offense going to be great week in and week out? Well, if the Grice is right, you're in business. But the Grice can only be at one school. So congratulations, Cox Mill. But above and beyond that let's and and i've always been a champion of this let's acknowledge that there are gentlemen on the defensive side of the ball who know what they're doing it's part of a bigger issue in all of sports why do we always want to focus on when something happens oh gosh what went wrong for for, for this team wait a minute how about what insert name defense in this case whether we're talking drake Han or whether we're talking chachi sullivan who how about what they did well why don't we want to talk about it like that yeah hey cam you had a quick thought what is it you know i mean i'm gonna go ahead and give mallard creek you know the credit they deserve because they seem to be kind of perturbed last week but their their defense is legit you know holding huff just three field goals i, I think it's a little mixture of both some bad offense at times, but, you know, a lot of great defense. Those three teams right there, other than Kings Mountain, I think they're the top three. I would have, like, maybe Mallory Creek, then say Huff, Kings Mountain, and Chambers. Those defenses, they're they're really good. And, I mean, yep. no discredit to Nick Drew. Cardinal Givens has a great defense as well. Um, yep. I just think the offense can at times lack when you have good defense. Um, so, for a defensive-minded person – like Alex, you know, it could be great defense, but for offensive-minded guys like myself and like Bryce, you know, it could be bad offense. I think it's subjective. Yep, it's certainly. Hey, Dale, I'm going to save this last question for you, kind of like myself. You've got well over 20 years of experience in coaching and football, so I feel like you're the most qualified that I want to ask this question to. How long should high school coaches be given to succeed in a new school? You know, that's one relative to the principal and what the principal's goals are for the – the coach because I'm one of the people that believes that there's more to a coach than uh, winning a state championship. But if we look at it just in the, the purity of W's and L's, I think three years, uh, 
that gives you one year of of students that you can kind of show if you can change their mentality and i'm talking about your freshmen that you have and then it gives you three more it gives you three years excuse me thus ultimately a class of your imp, uh, fingerprint on the players so three years i believe in most situations that there's nothing ethical or highly um uh, uh, irregular about the coach, but I do believe we have to give high consideration to what the coaches do beyond the W's and L's. And I know some principals do thus six and five coach three years is going to keep his job. Yep. Uh, no and 10 coach, probably not. Yep. Great insight, Dale. I knew you'd knock it out of the park. I, I, I continue to say they're teachers first, coaches second. So you always want to keep that in mind with education-based athletics. But, hey, we got to get on. We're heavy tonight. So we're going to go to Alex's Big Ten game. So let's roll that intro. All right, Alex, this is your segment. <laughs> All right. So we got 10 games going this week. Um a good slate of games in terms of implications of the uh, Wake Forest at Roseville and Archer Kell at Olympics. Wake Forest or Roseville, big game in the East. Archer Kell, Olympic, big game in the West. Uh, so we'll touch on those a little later. Other than that, Apex at Holly Springs, great note there. Apex looking for its first state playoff berth since 2014. Great opportunity there. East Forsyth in a position to clinch a conference championship versus its intra-Kernersville rival in Glen Grimsley and Page. That's old Greensboro right there, always with two competitive teams. We know what the deal is there. I'll come back to uh, Harold's and Ravenscroft in a second. Uh, Pinecrest and Hope County. People might not realize Pinecrest still is looking for its first ever conference championship in football. Now, of course, we evaluate that fairly and that Pinecrest has spent so much of its history in conferences with Richmond and Scotland. So enough said there, but Pinecrest is in a position to win at Hope County. That'll clinch the 4A portion of the Sandhills 3A-4A conference, and then a game against um, Union Pines the following week, which could complete an undefeated season and a first conference championship for Pinecrest. So some history there. Robbinsville and Andrews, that uh, Smoky Mountain Conference, I, I mean, always uh, great. Andrew, Andrews is uh, in that mix with Robbinsville and Swain and Murphy this year, trying to stake their claim into that uh, great triumvirate and make it a quartet. Uh, Smithfield, Selma, rejuvenated program, rejuvenated um, tradition there in the 3A ranks in Johnston County, down the road from Cleveland, uh, still undefeated with an opportunity to clinch a conference championship there. And uh, Wallace Rose Hill in East Duplin, that's old Duplin County football right there, championship program and championship program. Uh, it's always going to be a battle in Beulahville there. All right, so I'll come back around and conclude. This Harold's Christian at Ravenscroft game, uh, significant that we're seeing a piece of history. Ravenscroft coach Ned Gannett, who is the longest tenured North Carolina high school football head coach ever in terms of continuous service as a head coach at one school. He will retire at the conclusion of this season. This is his last home game at Ravenscroft. So a little bit of history right there. 42 years, have your messages to football student athletes at all. 
Well, I don't think Alex's message has ever changed. You know, I'm a pretty bipartisan of fundamentalist background and uh, doing things the right way. And that means on and off the field. I think one of my biggest things is trying to arm these young men with the necessary tools to go on to life and make sure they're responsive to the commitment of the process of the programs, that they're punctual, that they're respectful, uh, and that they try to do their best. And, uh, you know, sports come and go. One day everybody hangs up their cleats and move on. So I think throughout the decades, I've always tried to be very consistent. You know, I've coached them hard. I try to get them to play the best they can, play the best they can. I try to encourage them, support them uh, at the end of the day. And, and then I hope as we move into the next decade that uh, I see my grandson hopefully get coached by somebody similar to myself that imparts upon him the necessary tools uh, to continue to have a great experience athletically, academically, and in life. It seems that you're zeal and fervor for teaching the game is as strong as ever, even as strong as when you began in 1981. Well, I hope commitment, dedication to the situation, be it your, whether it be your family, whether it be the business you're involved in or athletic team. And I've always been very hands-on, uh, whether demonstrating running routes, demonstrating blocking techniques, working with quarterbacks, and to this day I still am. I've probably never coached as hard as I have the last four or five years trying to continue to make our team competitive and stay traditionally uh, part of the program from that standpoint. So, you know, that's, you know, I'm not one stands on the sideline. I want to be involved, whether it be working with the linemen on the sled, working with receivers on the perimeter, working with defensive backs. I can't quite demonstrate like I used to, which I used to do a lot, uh, but I try to make sure that there's a respect among our kids, uh, that my staff and I have a really clear idea of what we want to get accomplished, that we want to prepare them and be ready for every day of practice and, of course, every Friday night. What do you see or assess as the current state of high school football as a meaningful educational endeavor? And what do you see as the greatest opportunities moving forward for current and future teacher coaches? Well, Alex, I'd like to say it's the same, but I think there has been a little bit of a shift. Uh, maybe it was a little bit on commitment. I think the diversification of the kids playing multiple sports, people pick and choose what they want to do this day, these days. You know, we've had more one-sport athletes come along uh, at the end of the day. But, you know, you hope that the young people realize they're missing great opportunities. You're only going to go through their scholastic athletics at this level one time. And you should never look back and say, you know what, I should have joined that team, no matter what team it was, soccer, field hockey, or whatever. They should have been part of the team framework, being able to learn discipline, because it's only going to help them in their development later in life, in my opinion. And, you know, some of my best enjoyments is to see some of these young people come back and uh, realize some of the things we try to lay as a foundation for them has helped them a lot in life. All right, Alex, always with the journalistic excellence, we appreciate you being on the scene with Coach Gannett. I loved his shorts game, though, by the way. That was some strong shorts. Looked like he came off the golf course. Uh, but, hey, we know what time it is. It's time to go on to the grice. All right, again, this first game, uh, our Eastern game of the week is Wake Forest at Rollsville. Again, a very intriguing game. I think, you know, Rollsville early with the big, you know, big loss to East Forsyth. I mean, I think, you know, and it, it was kind of weird that they, they went through the same path. I feel like the last, what, last year as well, you know, just the same of uh, Byron Brown's senior year 
where they had the big loss early and then kind of went under the radar. And I think Roseville's become one of those teams, again, at six and two that you got to watch out for. And I think has the opportunity to make a deep playoff run. And, you know, we talk a lot about Wake Forest and their success. I think Coach Reggie, Reggie Lucas has them in the right place. Again, we, of course, we looked at the Wake Forest Releaseville Road game earlier this year as a game of, you know, game of the week. So, again, a lot of that stuff is the same. I mean, Wake Forest dominated that game. And we'll start here with why Wake Forest wins. I mean, Cougars going to do what they do, and that's run the ball. Uh, you know, the guru already alluded to him. Mikey DiPasquale is one of the most exciting versatile guys uh, on the eastern part of this state uh, he along with Rico Austin will be need to be at their best to control this game you know we know that Wake Forest always with their wing based offense is going to run the ball those two guys are going to be instrumental in them being able to do that and keeping that Rollsville offense off of the field uh, and when Wake Forest does like to get the ball, they like to get it to the coach's son. We know Nigel Lucas, again, is their big-time target, averaging 20 yards per catch. He's got eight touchdowns already on the year. So you know they're going to go at each game. They're going to take a shot down the field to try to get him the ball when teams come up and creep up a little too much on their run. And finally, Wake Forest D has been dominant. I mean, we've had them again, the Leeds Road game, give up seven points. They've given up 74 points total so far this year. I mean, they've been dominant. We've seen in conference, again, seeing some familiar foes. You're starting to see maybe you know a few more points uh, come out. I think Heritage had 14 points on them. Nightdale had you know 18. Again, going you know not too far away, Rollsville knows them extremely well. So it's going to be imperative that Deshaun Grant and Zane Williams, two of the leaders on that defense, tackle machines. They're guys that are getting in on every play and making sure that Rollsville's offense is stifled. All right, let's flip it again. We talked Roseville. I think, you know, they got a great shot here as Langston puts that up. Uh, you know, we, we talked about them a lot again in the, the spring COVID year, their big time season in which, you know, Byron Brown led them to the four AA state championship game. Roseville's to win here. QB Braden Atkins has got to step up and channel his inner Byron Brown. Again, this is the sophomore, the heir apparent, the quarterback that's you know been designed or been placed to, to replace Byron Brown and his excellent performance. Braden's got to keep up that stellar play. I mean, he's been a quarterback that's led them, put up some big-time numbers as the season's got on. And watching his film, you can really see him getting comfortable with that offense. Um, and, you know, leading into point two here, the reason why he's getting comfortable is he's continuing to, to allow for his stars around him to shine. We know about Noah Rogers. I think we've said everything we could about this big play receiver, one of the best receivers in this country. Again, he's got to be a guy they target and get the ball to. A game like this, Wake Forest is well aware of him, but he, along with Tamarcus Cooley, you know, two big-time Power 5 commits, key players, they're guys that have got to get the ball in big-time places. Isaiah Jones on the ground has got to also be instrumental, too. Hey, you've got to keep that ball on the ground. You've got to, you know, prevent Wake Forest from sitting back and and, and really, you know, if they, they're dictating or watching with Noah and Tamarcus, Isaiah's got to have some big plays to that ground game. And finally, we've got to talk about it. I think, you know, with both of our games of the week, it's key. You go back and look. Five out of the last six games that uh, Wake Forest and Roseville have played, Wake Forest has been successful. The one time Roseville has is, is, is flipped it and Roseville was able to be successful, they went to a state championship. So this game is key to me. I think it's very instrumental in dictating what type of team Roseville is. Are they the team of the last few weeks that we've seen strong, you know, get stronger, play better, and really dominate? Or are they that team that shows that they're, they've got a long way to go to be state championship ready? This one's going to be a very interesting game, and I think it's going to be one that's going to show us and really place where Rollsville is, I think, along with these 4A East grades. All right, let's flip the script and let's look at these big-time uh, Western games. 
oh, Western game of the week is R.G. Kelly at Olympic. Uh, this pretty much, I, I'd say, is the conference championship in the Summit Conference. I think, you know, again, both of these teams really haven't had a, a major or big-time schedule, you know, schedule bump as far as playing some top teams. This really is one of the big uh, bigger games that they've had all year. So we'll start on the Olympic side. If, if we start with looking at Olympic, um, Elijah Holmes, QB, has got a you know, continuous stellar season. I think he's been one of the best QBs that you know not a lot of people have talked about. I mean, some of it has been strength of schedule, but truly he has been exceptional this year. Uh, he's around 2,000 yards and 17 touchdowns already this year, and we know there are multiple games where he didn't see all four quarters. So even with that, he's been extremely efficient and played really well. Um, and, and, you know, he's got to continue to do that by getting the ball downfield to Sterling Green and sophomore D'Angelo Hall, who's starting to attract some power five interest. So they've got some guys in QB, you know, Elijah Holmes has got to continue to play stellar, even against uh, R.J. Kell this week. Uh, they've got to get uh, – Trojans got to get big plays out of their defense. Uh, defensive coordinator Darren Hart preaches a physical style of defense, and, you know, they, they really breathe that. And, I mean, you look at Solomon Ford, one of their young DBs, leading the team with five interceptions. We know Arjun Kell's going to take their shots down the field, and, you know, when they when they get there, I think they're going to target him, but they might be a fool to do so. Again, he's a younger kid, kid that you're looking on the scouting report is maybe somebody you could take advantage of. I think he's been dealing with that, and I think he's been coming out on the better end. Also, you look at Jaron Toto. Uh, one of those guys in the box for Arthur Kill, get it, trying to get that ground game going. He, along with that Trojans defensive line, is going to be instrumental in making sure that they stop Arthur Kill and whatever they do on the offensive side. And finally, again, as we talked about with the Wake Forest Rollsville game, go back and look at the history here with this with, with the Olympic. I mean, I, I jokingly call you know Arthur Kell, they're the kings of this this new look summit conference. Uh, Olympic has lost five out of the last six to Arthur Kell. They've got to turn this tide. And, and honestly, this game is really going to you know for putting them in a in a better seed with the playoffs because of their softer schedule, because I think they have one of these easiest schedules within 4A. They need this conference champion and the, the placement that it brings within the playoffs in order to make a deep run if they want to prove that they are a good team despite their schedule. All right, Dale. Uh, well, first, let's go to AK. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> Yep, no problem. So again, Arjun Kell here. You know, if Arjun Kell is to win, the defense has to continue their excellent play this year. You know, we talked about Wake Forest and their stingy defense. Arjun Kell the same. They've only given up 65 points, most of that in one game to Weddington. Uh, you know, big play guys, Kyler Watson, Xavier Squillen. They've got you know a really good looking defense. I watched some of their game against Providence early with Luke. <laughs> they did a great job of of controlling him and not allowing him to. <laughs> things that he's been able to do so far this year. They've got to do this against a great you know, Olympic offense and, and really start for QB Elijah Holmes and really keep him running for his life the entire game if they want to be successful. Uh, you look at their their balanced offense has got to put up some big time points. I mean, you know, we talk about Brooks Stankovich. I mean, he's a guy that's, you know, I think he had an ACL injury in the COVID year, so he hasn't really been able to break out. But he's a phenomenal athlete and one that's, you know, really a big time guy if he's able to get the ball in his hands. And also Jalen Toy Ellis, those two guys at receiver, you got to make sure your DBs are, are ready. So talked about it from the Olympic end of making sure those DBs are ready to play. These are going to be the guys that they're going to target to make sure that, you know, they're able to make, you know, make some big plays. And then finally, you know, we look at, you know, the RG Kell schedule, seeing them try to play some bigger teams. Talk about Providence, you know, again, trying to play, you know, playing uh, Weddington, scheduling Cuthbertson, Marvin Ridge, teams that they felt that were their non-conference were going to prepare them 
for not only their conference play, but really boost their RPI and give them the chance to make a deep run in the playoffs. We see two teams that really took two different you know, paths in order to secure or get to this point. RJ Kell in scheduling a harder non-conference schedule, they've got to prove they're worth it. They're battle tested and they're ready to make a deep run in the playoffs. So to me, it's going to be a great game. I think RJ Kell in Olympic you know, are going to really show what they can do. Both have great offenses. And I think the defense that plays a little bit better and is able to get the turnovers, I think that's going to be the key in this game. All right, great job, Coach Grice, uh, the number one voice of high school football. Take a breather. You deserved it right there. That was a lot of information. Dale, I feel like this game is right in your wheelhouse. I don't know of anybody that knows these two programs in this part of Charlotte as well as you do. Uh, Olympic 8-0, Archer Kell 7-1. What do you see? So, first of all, Grice, that was a great breakdown. Uh, the biggest thing for Audrey Kell here in their chink in their armor is was in that Weddington game. And that was how do they respond if they get punched in the mouth? So if Olympic comes out and generates some offense fast and uh, gets up or comes from behind early and gets up, how does Audrey Kell uh, face that? They had a big they had a big time problem with that with Weddington. But Olympic, you know, there's when you talk about conference championships, this is a rare thing uh, for Olympic. Olympic's only been in one state championship game in their entire history lost that. They only have a couple of uh, conference championships uh, under their belt. And to me, this feels a lot like those years when they were playing in conference that had Catholic and Catholic winning every year. Then in 2009, Olympic uh, found a way with a little bit down uh, Charlotte Catholic team. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you, if uh, you guys picked the right game for I think best game last last year they were what overtime wasn't it? Um, uh, very. I think this is going to be the same way when we pick these games. I had a this was probably the hardest game to pick because I think this is going to be a again yep. one of those last man with the ball. Uh, is this Arthur Kell's year or is as Olympic? You know, like Bryce said, Olympic took a a little bit weaker road to get here. Now's their chance to prove is there eight no record a real eight no record or is it an eight and no record against a lot of weak opponents? Yeah, I agree, Dale. And you know, I may be one of those ones that have underrated Olympic and, and maybe even to the point that you know, I think that they're much, much better than the record shows. But again, we'll find out, you know, having a chance to play a really solid AK team. Uh, Cam, uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you see coming up Friday night? Uh, yeah, and Grice, uh, you know, I see why Chris is calling you the number one voice because uh, you took a lot of my talking points, but I will go ahead and, you know, talk about their schedule. I think Lance and I were talking either earlier today or yesterday about how uh, Olympic hasn't played an opponent, hasn't, I mean, eight and over, they haven't played an opponent over, you know, with better than a 500 record yet. Um, you know, Audrey Kell's schedule isn't much better. They, uh, they did play Weddington, uh, got beat pretty handedly in that one, though, and then they played a think a 500, four and four Marvin Ridge team. Uh, but one player you mentioned, uh, Brooks Stankovich, you know, I was at the Myers Park AK game. And, uh, the, the PA announcers were wearing his name out. So I think he's going to be a key factor, like you mentioned, guys. All right, great insight, Cam. Uh, we appreciate what you contribute. Uh, great job. Uh, hey, any, any, anybody else want to dig in on this AK Olympic game? One once, one twice? All right, so, hey, Sam, I'm coming to you. I want to find out who our frontline warrior is this week, uh, so why don't you tell us about it? 
Well, we chose, even though they're coming off two losses in a row, I've watched the games. The Lake Norman tackle, Ethan Calloway. Um, Coach O, Coach Fitz, are, you know, got great things to say about this guy. He's one of the biggest recruits up and coming. Um, he's been all over the place on different visits each weekend. And uh, I'd like to see, you know, what Ethan's got to say. Another addition of Frontline Warrior. Super excited about a great guy that you've played against, Grice. Tell me a little about Ethan Calloway. I mean, I think he's a guy that, you know, when you look at that offensive line, it's a guy that you had to, you know, be aware of. I mean, you know, our defensive coordinator, Jamel Bird, you know, was aware of him. You know, whatever you're doing, you got to make sure they're going to run behind him if they need some hard yards. And he's one of the best guys, I think, in this city, in this state, in this area. And I was glad to at least see him compete at a high level. Ethan, what do you think about playing against Cox Mill? They're pretty good, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they're definitely one of the hardest teams we went against, but. I mean, you're going to have games like that. It's not – I mean, it's – and, yeah, the scoreboard definitely matters, but I think you just got to go out there and perform to the best of your ability. Well, I think you guys are built around an offense where it's about ball control and taking care of the football. When you when you have a lot of fumbles, it's going to have – you know, have a hard time overcoming that. Yeah. Um, you know, Frontline Warrior, we're looking for people moving, people against their will. And the one thing I've noticed about you, and I want you to talk Ooh. about it, is your strength and your size – you know, correlate, they, they combine together. And when you strike someone, they hit the ground. You can't even drive them 10 yards because as soon as you strike them, I see them hitting the ground. Who's your weight room coach at your school? Uh, it's uh, Coach Sean Fitzgerald. He's also our yes. coach. Yeah, he's your O-line coach, right, as well? Yeah. All right, tell me something unique about Coach Fitz. Uh, he's definitely – he definitely he knows what to say. You know, if you're uh, – you're having a slow day you don't know what you got you don't know what you got to do he'll definitely get you going uh he's not going to let you give up on yourself or on anyone else really have you ever seen coach Fitz line up in a board drill no but i'm really excited for the day i do <laughs> are you calling coach Fitz out on the board drill that's all we want to know right now <laughs> uh you know what you know what sure why not sure that's what we need videotape proof of this that's what i like to see now, the one thing I love, we see a lot of pass blocking versus a lot of frontline warriors. I know it's a big thing in the one-on-ones when you go to camps. But the one thing I see about you is you are a run blocker, brother. Like right here, take the guy out the club. Look at him. Sit him on the goalpost. Sit him down. That's what we like to see in frontline warrior, man. You're doing a great job. Proud of you. Thank you. Any any insight of like some of the visits you've been on right, lately? I know you got LSU, NC State, Clemson, all these different yeah. fields. Uh, Anyone stand out amongst the others? Yeah, I was uh, I was at Virginia Tech yesterday. Uh, I got South Carolina next weekend, and then a few others later. Uh, it's I've definitely been really enjoying it. You know, it's uh, it's something new because I never thought something like this would be happening. But hey, I'm loving it. Ethan, one last thing I want you to do every time you meet these new coaches, I want you to shake their hand and crush it. <laughs> I want I want you to be known as the crusher. Are we All good right. with that? Yeah. Ethan the Crusher Callaway. All right. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you. And if you ever want to be on the next Frontline Warrior, please contact me on Twitter at Coach Sam Griner, you know, or at Charlotte Preps on Twitter or IG. Love to hear from you. Love to see the film. And we are evaluating every week. Look forward to it. It's not just based upon a game. It's about what you're doing throughout your whole year in 2022. All right, Mr. Ethan, the Crusher Callaway. Man, that segment was hot, Coach Grice. A great job with that frontline Warriors. But it's 9.32 at night. Guys, I know we're long tonight, but stick with us because this is what everybody's been waiting for. Let's go see who Mr. Football is right now.
get that graphic up our mr football again been teasing it a little bit we have finally cut our list down to 12. we showed you the bubble guys again we know that there are some good some great football players in the state that are on the bubble let's go ahead and queue up this first uh this 12 for the mr football list so again we have here you know we've talked about you know jalen rayner with east forsyth i mean again he has been you know, killing this year almost 2800 total yards 42 touchdowns uh, Alex, could you talk about Mason Fortune? We have him there, number two. I feel like he's been around there all year. Could you give us quick insight as to why we have him there? He knows how to use his resources. Nathan Leacock might get most of the attention, but he has other receivers that form a nice bevy of talented pass catchers that make the Millbrook offense that much more dangerous and then you throw in a complimentary running game he knows how to use his resources and get everyone involved and did a great job of doing that particularly against heritage when the heritage secondary stepped up and challenged millbrook and fortune found ways to get other players involved so that's why he stays in the mix Oh, I agree 100%. I mean, we talk about that. And again, you see Nathan Leacox there at number six with 48 catches, 1,224 yards, 19 touchdowns. Again, he's been around and hanging around here. That's a big reason why. And Mason Fortune has been a benefactor of that as well. We've got Dalen Lee from Shelby here at number three. Talk about 32 touchdowns, five interceptions, over 2,000 yards passing. And at this time of year for him, he's kind of get drinking Gatorade in the fourth quarter. So to do those, have those numbers and usually a half, maybe three quarters of work if he's lucky, is absolutely exceptional. Uh, Jaden Davis there at four with 26 touchdowns, uh, almost 2,100 yards. You talk about completing 75% of his passes. That efficiency is a great reason why. I mean, we talk about even, you know, Bakari Sellers of CNN went to the game Friday and really just came out and said he's the best high school quarterback that he's ever seen at this age. I mean, you know, he sent it to Langston. Langston sent it out to us. You're getting high praise from big-time names that are showing that this quarterback is one of the best here. It's no reason, no question why he's being courted by any school you can think of in Power Five. Uh, let's get to Mason Avery. So, again, we've had him. Guru, I love to go to you for the mountain towns, mountain areas. So we see five here and we see seven. Mason Avery out of West Lincoln, one of your old school two-way players that I think, you know, he's been having some great performances. We had to bring him. And, of course, Chris Culver, which I, you know, I was me and Langston's favorite, he came up and he I feel like he, got, he took this a little personal that he wasn't on our list. And since I think he's made that moment, week after week, he's been killing. So talk to about two of those guys from the western part of the state. I think they're great kids. And by the way, Mason Avery, we saw him, and not only is he fiery, but his mom is too. And he gets all of his yards on the games on the line, not garbage time. So, you know, I really like that about him. Uh, he's just a tough behind the, the offensive line runner uh, that just gets in there and just turns them up. He's the kind of guy that, you know, if I'm a coach again, you know, I want to hang my horse, you know, my my hat on him. He's kind of that bell cow that I think the other team's going to follow or that the teammates are going to follow and rally behind. And Chris Culver there at Maiden, I mean, we saw what a performance on Friday night in that big-time victory over – I think it was like the 36, 33 or whatever it was over Bunker Hill. Uh, incredible. Uh, I think these are two young men that definitely uh, are much better than maybe some of the experts out there would think. Oh, agreed. 100 uh, percent. You know, and again, I think those two guys, I love to get that coverage from, you know, from the western part of the state. Those are two guys that play both sides of the ball, too. You've got stats on, on either side. And I think that 
two-way ability and some of the success that they have on the offensive side, but the willingness to get on the defensive side and hit somebody are reasons why they're included. Hey, Gary here, again, Gary, we know you are a resident Chambers expert, supporter, former coach. Zion Jackson has made one of the biggest jumps, I feel like, in our Mr. Football. Can you talk about what you've seen from him? And again, that defense was supposed to go down this year. You know, everybody talked about that defense with James Pierce leaving, other guys graduating and moving on, being a little on the younger side. He's continued to be a linchpin for Drake Cannon's defense. Can you talk about what you've seen uh, by checking him out? Yeah, he's not only a good pass rusher, he's great at stopping the run. And, and that's something we kind of take for granted on defense. We look at players that kind of pop, they they sack the quarterback and intercept passes. He does a little bit of everything. Um, he's a stabilizing force on the Chambers defense, and we know how great Drake Cannon's defense is. They're a team defense more so than a superstar defense. Um like they have been in the past with, with Power Eccles and, and that crew. So um, to stand out on a great team defense says a lot about the quality of defensive player that he is. Agree 100%. I think, you know, a, a guy that, that's really continued, I feel like as the season's gone on, he's gotten stronger and gotten better. So, you know, a guy that I really think is is, is moving up. Grinder, we're getting some of these defensive guys on there. Uh, we see nine Folger Boaz here, uh, 34 touchdowns, four interceptions, 2,100 yards for him. Again, he's a big reason why the East Surrey offense is so explosive. Dale, i uh, got to go to the south part of the city. Luke Bailey out of Providence. So, you know, we know he had the amazing explosive story and was really at the top of our list in the beginning. He slowed down a little bit, but still here. Can you talk about how he's been doing lately and just maybe why he's still there even though he's sliding down a bit? Yeah, uh, 192 a game, uh, 19 touchdowns, 1,540 yards. Uh, He's getting yards from, you know, it's more than a running back. I think he's a great running back, and he just needs more of a team around him to, to move up. He can only do so much. You know, you see that Butler game where he faced a real tough, def- uh, real tough defense and maybe some injuries that uh, slowed him down that he wasn't able to get the yards. I, I still think he's a great back, uh, Rice, but it, you've got to have a team to help a back, right? So Agreed. Agreed. Now, you know, again, he's been a guy that, you know, had a great start to the season. Hopefully, you know, we had some injury concerns, injury scares um, later on. I think usage does you know, come into play there. Um, but, you know, we look for him to continue to have a strong uh, finish as they are in playoff contention with an opportunity. You know, they're going to ride him all the way. So I'll be you know, definitely excited to see how he progresses. I'll go to the last guy and give uh, I want to give Groner to tee up another defensive guy we like. But Logan Riley out of Dudley, a guy that's a new entrant into our list. He's leading the state. He's been sacks with 17. You know, a big guy again, 68 tackles. One guy I think as Dudley gets going, and, and, and Gru talked about this with the state rankings, Dudley continues to get in these big-time games and performances. As he continues to show that dominant Dudley defense, I think his stock is going to rise You know, pretty pretty high as well. Brian, I want to go to you with one of the last guys here we have. It's at number 11, K.J. Simpson at Newburn. Again, that Newburn team is undefeated. We talked in last year, I feel like the Mr. Football darling was Aaron Herring. It's no question this year that the, the star of that team to me is K.J. Sampson in that New Bern defense. Yeah, he's got 16 sacks on the year. That's second behind Logan Wright from Dudley. that has got 17. And we got three big-time D tackles, you know, playing D line across the board. Zarian Jackson, he's got 16 sacks as well. 21 tackles for loss for K.J. Sampson. I think that's 
big, you know, whenever you're getting that much pressure, it's hard to, you know, create any offense whatsoever as a quarterback. And he's getting tackles for loss as well. So he's stopping the running game. You know, these guys are going to climb up in the top five, I think, towards the end if they keep performing like they're doing. But right now, Jalen Rayner, you know, with 42 total touchdowns right now on the, on the year, it's just, it's bar none. He is by far the best. And he is, it's his Mr. Football to lose, in my opinion, right now. Now, we'll get to see him a little bit more and when we get into the playoff scenario, see how he performs against some of these other schools that are top-ranked defenses like the Huffs, the Chambers, and the Mallard Creeks. Can he still perform at that high level? And if he can, then it's just it's a no-brainer. This guy's going to end up being Mr. Football. I just right. got a question for Sam. Uh, Sam, we have defensive players on here, and we have offensive players. And offensive players have – more metrics that you can measure against. And it's mm -hmm. harder to measure sometimes defensive players uh, because he may not get the sack or the tackle, but he ends up occupying two people on the uh, offensive line because you can't block him with one. Can you comment on what does it take for a defensive player to move up a list like this? Well, the good thing is, you know, you know, it's a great thing to be a part of Mr. Football, but their dreams and hopes are to play college football. And a lot of these guys that are performing at a high level defensively, they're the top-ranked guys in the entire state, and they're getting recruited by Alabama. They're getting recruited by, you know, the top schools in North Carolina, NC State, Chapel Hill, going across the border to Clemson. Those are the guys. It's more the defensive guys. And so they are getting the praise that they're needing. Um, for them to be Mr. Football, they have to stand out amongst everyone else, and that's hard to do sometimes. They have to have explosive plays like, you know, the Chambers guy that went to Tennessee, being able to get strip sacks, take over a game, score on defense, where you're a highlight at the end of the game, you're like, wow, that guy's special. He's different. You know, the Hollywood effect, just like Hollywood Smothers did, every time he touched the ball, his stats might not have been as good as someone else, but he was so electric when he touched the football or he's a part of the game, your eyes are drawn to that guy. That is Mr. Football. Are we drawn to you or not? Do you stand out amongst the crowd? I want to say apparently not too many defenses have been drawn to Jayla Alexander Rayner. If you look closely at those 42 touchdowns, I want to break down a number game in and game out. Jalen Alexander Rayner has at least one passing touchdown and one rushing touchdown in every game this year. Break Tim that Tebow, down. Tim Tebow. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he went the whole oh, season Tebow. without hearing Tebow. <laughs> hey, well, that's I had to bring him up. I had to bring yeah, him up. That's our Mr. Football list. Our first cut down was to 12. We'll cut down to eight as we get into the playoffs. I mean, a lot of big games. I think you're going to see a lot of shifting by teams that are going home early. And when you go home early, unfortunately, your stats stop and other people have the opportunity to climb. But again, you know, appreciate everyone on this list. I think it's an honor to even be here, to be on the bubble. You are you are listed as one of the best players in the state. Now, Guru, let's get, you know, you were out this week enjoying the beautiful mountains, of, you know, more of the Murphy side of, of our glorious state. Had to sub in uh, Double G, you know, Grice and Griner effect. So let's toss to fresh faces to see some guys that you may not, you may not know about that you're going to learn about today. Hey, everybody. Again, a little switch this week as I've got Griner on here with me. Uh, Guru's taking a little bit of time off. 
uh, for our fresh faces. So again, we've got another crop of fresh faces as we head into week 10, getting ready as we're getting closer to playoff time, Grinder. So we got some good fresh faces that we need everybody to see. As we say from Murphy to Manio, we're going to bring them to you. So let's get into the first guy. We've got Bryant Blevins out of Ash County. This 5'7", 180-pound senior averaging 15.2 uh, tackles per game uh, for head coach Brian Hampton. He's a defensive-minded guy, and he likes a linebacker here that's going to be able to make sure he's making tackles, and this guy looks like a box-to-box step monster. Uh, coach Griner, what do you see here in this film? I mean, if you're getting 15 tackles a game, that's a big-time deal for an inside linebacker. Looks like he's got great eyes. I think that it's so much underrated is the eyes of an inside linebacker. It's the most natural, gifted Football player, not necessarily running wise, but just natural finding the football. You know, a guy that always says he's around the pile. This guy's getting it for 15 tackles a game. Oh, for sure. And I mean, I think you see that with that every every single play. It's like he's finding his way. It seems like it's like poetry in motion as he's weaving through blockers to get to the ball carrier. So we'll take it back here to the Charlotte area uh, to go Leighton Duke out of Metro Atlanta Christian. Again, they just had a big 41-14 win over Asheville Christian. Duke had eight tackles and a 95-yard interception return for a score. Also played on the other side of the ball. I love that these private schools and smaller schools ran the ball 12 times for 153 yards and two touchdowns. So he's got about 550 yards rushing in six games. We don't see a lot of these, but a hey, big time guy here, big time performance. Did you, did you see the hit? Did he just lay out that guy right there? Oh, for sure. Oh, my yeah. gosh. You know, I hopefully they ain't got like, replay because yeah, we would have got a targeting call. But you're talking about a man. That dude stuck that dude. <laughs> and I love it again. I love how he's able to get the interception and be a two-way player and turn from defense to offense. And you better get on your horse to get him. I don't think many people are going to. We, get we call guys like this ice bucket because at the end of the game, they're just going straight to the ice. <laughs> Definitely is. So it got a fresh face. We had to get, get make sure we get everybody's aware of. Let's move. Go out uh, down east to Tarboro. Cameron McDowell. This is a freshman. Had 16 rushes, 230 yards, and two touchdowns out of that Tarboro tee in a big time 50-14 win over Riverside Martin. Kids already had 739 yards rushing and 13 touchdowns this season. And Griner, he's averaging 13.1 yards every time he gets the football in his hands. We know all about the names in this Tarboro T. Seems like one of these next names as a young freshman here getting this ball. What do you see in this big-time guy's film? I want to know what they're eating in Tarboro if there's a freshman getting this many touches and carrying it for 13 yards a touch. Like, I mean, seriously, like I want I want whatever diet plan they're on. I want to feed it to my guys because that's big time. Oh, I love it. And again, you know, this is a situation I thought was phone booth football. It's no secret. It's no you don't have 17 receivers out wide. We have everybody inside in the party. One of these guys is getting the ball and you got to stop it. So for 13 yards, when you're working out of a phone booth, that's amazing. I, again, I think it's going to be a name we're going to be sitting here watching as he's a senior, maybe on our Mr. Football list. Got to have. Got to have some great hips to be able to work in a phone booth like that. Oh, 100%. We're going to our last guy here, Will Stanford out of Avery County. Uh, quick, we have a short video here, but we had to highlight this guy in a 38-35 win over Madison. Again, a game that snapped a two-game losing streak for them, so a great you know slump buster here. He had 258 yards passing, 77 yards rushing, and five total touchdowns. Again, a kid that's a dual threat guy that can get that ball out of his hands to his receivers, but if nothing's there, he can scramble and make some big plays. Uh, we got a little short film here, Grinder, but what do you like out of Will Stanford here? I'll tell you the one thing I'd like to have Will Stanford to be on my fantasy team instead of Lamar Jackson right now because this is a Lamar Jackson normal type game. Having five TDs, 77 yeah. yards rushing, about 250 yards passing, throwing it straight to the tight end, I, I would need that. But that's that's huge for his you know Avery County school. You know, anytime you're doing that, you're running the ball, you're throwing the ball, 
doing whatever it takes to win for your team and to be able to snap that two-game losing streak, that's big. 100%. So, again, that's our crop of fresh faces. If you're a guy that we need to highlight that you should be on our fresh faces, again, we cover from Murphy DeManio. Please reach out to us at Langston Works Jr. at Observer Preps on Twitter. Let us know. Again, provide your film so we can highlight you. Again, this is we are showing everyone statewide and want to make sure that you can come here first and find out who the next star is. So, again, for this uh, crop of fresh faces, Coach Sam Griner, it's Coach Jonathan Grice. Wow. Uh, here we are in a, a three-shot, man, so we know what time it is. Uh, hey, this is a slump buster segment because we're going to get out of this slump for the show and finish it off strong. So, hey, man, I see you already right there, Sam. Let's lock the door. Let's play that. Welcome to another edition of everybody out there still watching this live on talk of preps mc uh it's 9 50 at night but here we are coach versus coach so we appreciate y'all hey sam last week you slipped uh, you um mixed it up on us and you decided to receive uh what's it going to be tonight well, i'm deferring again because it was a bye week last week i was just feeling good about myself that's all it was <laughs> all right so here we go coach versus coach question number one uh coming to you coach Grice. uh post robbie anderson how should high school coaches handle sideline discipline now in the future? Yeah, I think it's a little different when you talk about, you know, at the high school level. I think, you know, there are enough personnel at the NFL level to handle take, you know, having a player go into the you know, into the locker room and be there for the for the remainder of the game. I think at high school level, heck, we're just happy to have, you know, guys to, to coach every single position. Um, so in a situation like that, that would be one where I would, you know, you'd have a kid that's standing on the side, you know, on the sideline, probably closer to me. I'd have them doing something again. If, if you're in that level of, you know, you're that level of, of, you know, angst or disgust or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, you know, I want to keep that kid closer to me just to prevent any outbursts, prevent him, you know, any actions or anything in the stands that may trigger or take attention away from what's going on on the field. So I think, you know, in the pros, you have that luxury to kick a kid off to, to you know, have him go to the stands and not have to worry about thinking about him. But for us, a lot of times that kid needs to be right there. And really, I've had situations where I've had to deal with a, a situation or had to really, you know, exert some sideline discipline fix it right away while we're on defense and have that kid go back out there because we don't have the numbers to sit there and have that kid go over here and say, look, we'll deal with this when it, you know, Monday at practice right now, we got a game to win. If you, if, I, if you can't be a part of trying to go in and out and win this game, then you don't need to be on this team for the rest of the year, bump just the game. Yeah. And we don't know the whole dynamic of the Robbie Anderson situation. We weren't exactly hearing every aspect that's going on. I think every situation is different. You know, in high school, I've been, I've been in situations where, we have taken a helmet of a football player that they were, you know, showing their tail to the point where we'll take their helmet and give them to an assistant coach and you won't go on the field again. But we have to monitor, you know, the student athletes. We cannot send them to the bleachers. We can't send them to the bus. That becomes liability issues. But the best way you can handle it is an issue where, you know, they're not playing anymore. You just take the helmet, just like in the concussion protocol type deal. All right, man, strong points by both of you. I don't know who to award the point to, but uh, you both make very good arguments. But, hey, uh, Coach Sam, uh, Coach Griner, we're going to stay with you here on the second question. Uh, what's better, a great rushing attack or a great passing attack? And I have a feeling I know where you're going. Yeah, it's, it's not even close. It shouldn't even be a question. Great rushing attack um, is by far better than a great passing attack. 
Um, you can have ball control. You can manipulate the game. It helps your defense out. It shortens the game. You become comfortable in a more close game. Most games in state championships, when it gets colder, you need to run the ball. I mean, I can go on and on and on for days on why a great rushing attack is going to win more championships than a great passing attack. And I know what you're going to say. Oh, you know, we got Langston in the back saying, well, Tommy Knott's great passing game. If you look at it, they were very sound and they were unbelievable in the running game as well. Okay, so don't I want to hear it in the background. So funny, I'll bring this uh, into, you know, just to current day. So, you know, you're preparing, of course, for Hickory Ridge this week. Hickory Ridge, of course, beat Lake Norman last week 55 to 10, doing some analytics and looking at plays and performance. <laughs> Coach Jupe on offense had 38 plays, scored 55 points. I don't need to hold the ball if I'm scoring in two plays. The, the, the point of this game, the point of football, is to score more points than the opposition. You can have all these plays, all these chances for something to go wrong, but if I can score in one play, if I can score in two plays, I'm going to do that because, hey, the objective for me is to score the most points on offense. It ain't to control the ball. It ain't to show my strength. It ain't to be, ooh, I watch this creative play. If I can take this ball and have this receiver go down, down the field, pass your guy, I'm going to do it every time. And it, watching Jupiter, watching Coach Wilson and Christian Hamilton and all the, the wealth of talent they have do that over and over, that's demoralizing. You say five yards is, but having a kid freaking get the ball, bombs over Baghdad, rained over his head, or play after play after play, that kills a kid. Again, DBs are supposed to have short memories. You know why? Because that is one of the worst things that you can have happen. Linebacker gets run over. People forget about that. A receiver freaking goes down the field and catches it on him. It's over. All right. Well, I'm going to recap this because I just want to make my point more clear for you, Chris, so you can give me the check off for this. All right. If you take someone's soul and you just ran right through their chest and their soul left their body, they're going to remember that for a lifetime instead of back on just the game about going bombs over Baghdad. But it is a situation of just dominance when you are able to run the ball. If you ask a defense coordinator, all right, well, if you're getting beat over the head, you shouldn't be a defense coordinator, okay? All these great defenses we're talking about, Mather Creek, Huff, things of that nature. I, I bet you if you ask Huff right now, if they would have ran the ball more and not thrown the ball as much in that game, they wouldn't have gave up two pick sixes and they probably would have won the game with field goals. And so great rushing attack again, brother-in-laws with great defense, and it produces championships. Everybody's nice and sexy at the beginning of the year with these passing attacks. When the degrees drop, the percentages of catches drop as well, and that's why you don't see unless they're just so much more dominant than another team. But those teams that are great passing attacks don't win necessarily state championships unless they have a good defense and they can run the ball. Man, it doesn't matter, Griner. I'm telling you, just like this. Hey, you can go out and feel, oh, God, all you old guys. I get all these old guys. Oh, yeah, you know, great rushing attack. It doesn't matter. The point is to score points. You guys want to move the ball down the field all slowly? No. Head How do you want to die? Do you want to, everybody wants to die of old age. I'll take 555 and hope for a stop or hope for you to fumble. Nobody wants to die by running their Ferrari through a brick wall. That's where the bombs over back. You, said, you, you so said you'll take your five. You're agreeing with me. Everybody wants If you drive, if, if, if it's been but don't break, I'm fine with that as defense. If I'm just getting freaking boat raised down the field by receivers, nobody wants that. That is great and more devastating. A great passing attack rather than somebody running the ball. 
Well, Coach Christ, I'm sorry, but I'm the old guy, and I've got a side side right here. Hey, hey, I bet Richard Bailey. You think back to the 2008 Jack Britt football team, Coach Richard Bailey. They had one of the most prolific passing attacks ever. Proctor, great quarterback. Xavier Nixon, great NFL caliber offensive lineman. They slung the ball all over all year. I bet they wish they could have run that ball on that cold defensive, that cold Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, actually in Keenan Stadium, and got that one first down they needed. Jack Britt would have won that championship game, not Richmond County. So you, there's going to come a day in December where you've got to run that ball. God is the only person that can stop a great passing attack. God, that's it. That's the problem. Y'all, y'all, God is the only person that can stop a great passing attack. That makes my point. The Our Lord and Savior is the only person that can stop him, Griner. And you throw the ball, three things Mata happen, Creek and two defense. of them are bad. Huff, Huff and Mount Creek's defense as well. <laughs> you, you throw the ball, three things happen, two of them are bad. So, yeah, hey, we'll leave it there. Hey, uh, Coach Griner, we're going to stick with you here on this last question. Um, I think I'm right. No, no, Coach Christ. I'm sorry, Coach Christ. Yeah, yeah. Hey, which former NC State um, NC star is better at college? Uh, Drake May or Hendon Hooker? Man, this is a tough one. Man, hey, I'm going with the hometown 336 Dudley graduate Hendon Hooker. Drake May is in the ACC where defense is optional. Defense is optional. Hendon Hooker under Josh Hypo. See, he started in the ACC, Griner. Started there, didn't really work for him. They actually kept putting guys over him like they didn't recognize his greatness. He goes under Josh Hypo's wonderful, fast tempo offense, gets the hang of it. They try to put Milton in front of him like he was better, gets the hang of it. And did you see Saturday? Drake May will never have a performance better than Hendon Hooker in his life. In his life, in his life, in his life. Against Nick Saban's vaunted defense. Put up some of the most yards that have ever been put up on Nick Saban's defense in any year that you can find. Hendon Hooker, again, with this time, got himself together, got in a program that matched him and allowed him to do the great things. Because that's the other point. Drake May, he's going to have to do so much and things are going to have to be put on his back. And Sam Howe, even the great Sam Howe, his performance started to wane towards the end when they were asking him to do so much. Drake May is a great quarterback, but in the position that he is, they're going to ask him to do too much and that's going to negatively affect him. Hendon Hooker is the only answer here because Drake May's never going to do what Hendon Hooker did on Saturday. You're exactly right about Hendon Hooker that Drake May will never do what Hendon Hooker did on Saturday because – Drake May will never make it to his senior year as a Chapel Hill. Okay, he's a freshman. We're talking about a senior. So let's talk about the real facts of what's going on. Hendon Hooker was so good, he would have stuck it out at Virginia Tech, just like Michael Vick did, and made it through it and made them great. Okay, he's a product. He's a product. Hey, this is my turn, brother. You sit back there in that chair and you take it. Oh, God. I know know you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah, you're getting chippy with me. Come on. the, The head coach for Tennessee is an offensive guru. He is amazing. Hooker is a really good football player, but he's a product of the system, okay? The system of what Carolina – literally, Drake May is strapping Carolina on his back and say, hey, let's go, boys. Put the women in the bed and let's go looking for dinner. That's exactly what's happening. But you're exactly right. Drake May will never be hitting Hooker because by his junior year, he's bye-bye first round. Right. He'll never have it at any point in his career. Oh, He'll first run, we're, first run. we're not making it to our senior year. We're not making it to our senior year. He's never going to do it. Hinder Hooker's going to get a Heisman. Hinder Hooker's the front runner for Heisman. Congratulations. We're talking about first round draft pick, and I'm talking about who's the better QB. I don't care who's what the better QB is the question. Hinder Hooker is the better QB and is going to win that Heisman. 
He's going to win the Heisman. He's going to smile. He's going to have the Heisman. Drake picture. Nate. Drake Nate will have better stats. Drake Nate will have better stats no. in three years. Than what, 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 for his four. For his four. For his four. For his four years. four years or eight years. Isn't this debate about today? Not three years from now. Hey, last last this, word right here, Coach Price. I was about to give you the point, but Sam Griner proved. I agree with you, Sam. Sam Griner ran that ball down your throat. He ran power, but not down. this year. And I bombed over back there with Hendon Hooker. Did you? But not this that? year, not Sam. I agree with you what you're saying about the future. Hey, but, but you notice what you notice what Chris just said. He said that he ran he ran power right there. The fact that he ran power also reaffirms what Gary said earlier tonight. When you run power. This still is a basketball state. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 are, we, have not, we have now set a record. This is the longest talking press we've ever done. But one of the best. Talking press we've ever done. I'm in the back just dying laughing. When Sam told Grice to get back in his seat. This is the best debate. That, that's good did. TV, man. It's, it's good TV. I mean, it's like undisputed first take and talking press. I mean, it's, it's I mean, it, but you, Grice you won, Langston, huh? Because Grice stuck to the context of the point. The question, that's, you that's put the, the question. question. Back he answered the question. question. Hey, you put the question back up there. It didn't say this year. No, it didn't yeah. Say this year. Well, well, what would we be talking well, about? We have context. Of Sam, that's, two all, years that's how Brian will give you in the early days, Cam. See, you didn't answer the question. See, I'm going to answer the question. That was all I was going to go question. to. All right. Well, say well, this given, year. given we are like beyond heavy, I'm going to put the big. The question is Bryce not even the I'm just going to make. I'm going to make a strong point on my final thought today, and it's just going to be. It's not considered a rival. If you win every single time, and hey. Coach versus Coach is a new name for it, <laughs> and um, it my final thought: it's not considered a rival game if you win all the time. All right, so we're moving on. <laughs> so what should we call? What, what should we call the game show? Because you lose all the time. Right, that's what I didn't say the game show. This was never an issue until he lost the game show. Like I said, he lost the game show. Now he's taking it out of me. I won today. I won today. I lost twice. I lost twice this year. That's in it. In two weeks, we're gonna bring Randall and the other guru on, Rick Lewis, Uh-oh. to talk about basketball, and you and Randall are going head up on the game show. Sounds like he's back in math class drawing these tangents. Well, y'all, thanks for everybody stay watching. It's uh, 300 and some people watching. Thanks, guys, for watching. I appreciate it. We'll be back next Tuesday. I'm going to try to talk these guys into doing a, uh, me and Grice talked about it today, a Saturday NCHSA pick show. If everybody wants to do it, we'll do it live on Saturday when the picks come out. And I'm going to try to have, like, the phone set up. You guys can call in, make comments, and ask questions of the Guru 1 and Guru 2. Anyway, that's Sam Grinder, West Charlotte football coach. That's Jonathan Grice, number two voice high school football. That's Chris Hughes, number one voice. Even though he's shaking his head, he's still number one. Dale Ross, one of the longtime CMS specialists. I know Gary Richmond, my good friend. Uh, Cameron Williams, the get the guru in training. Alex Baskin-Trarian, the expert on all things Eastern North Carolina. I'm Langston Wirtz, and we are Talking Preps. I love how Cameron thinks he can.